With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Afternoons, Julian Destoop uh, with you on well, it's not a summer's day in Melbourne. Walking the streets this morning, there was people in puffer jackets and beanies. It certainly didn't feel like summer. It certainly didn't feel like uh, the 5th of January. But thankfully, thankfully, from a Melbourne perspective, uh, the weather is going to pick up as the week goes on. And, and thankfully, thankfully, too, from a Sydney perspective today, at least, uh, seen some pictures of the Indians out training uh, on the SCG and the weather is good today. Uh, let's hope it's the case uh, later in the week uh, when that first test gets underway. We'll speak uh, plenty of... Third test, sorry, uh, gets underway at the SCG. We'll speak uh, plenty of cricket. We'll, uh, we just heard from Justin Langer uh, there in the news that uh, David Warner, not quite 100% fit, but uh, fully expects uh, him to play. He also made some comments about... Uh, he was asked about Steve Smith's uh, batting slump and said, well, I don't really have to coach Steve Smith. He coaches himself. Uh, I'm not too worried about his form. So we'll talk about that, uh, the makeup of the Australian team uh, when we chat to former star Australian we could keep it Ian Healy uh, later on in this half an hour. Plenty of big bash uh, on the menu as well, from the good to the bad. We'll start with the good, and that was the match between the Melbourne Stars and the Hobart Hurricanes last night. Probably the match of the tournament uh, so far. It was lit up by a couple of amazing innings. Uh, one from the Melbourne Stars, uh, Marcus Stornis. The other from Ben McDermott from the Hurricanes, who almost uh, got his team across the line when they looked absolutely gone with six or seven overs to go. And uh, he might have got them there if it wasn't for an amazing catch on the boundary uh, by Andre Fletcher. And he took two sensational catches, but the second one uh, was absolutely uh, unbelievable uh, from Andre Fletcher. Um, so uh, we'll talk to Hilton Cartwright about that uh, a little bit later on. Then we'll go to the bad. And unfortunately, that's the other Melbourne team, uh, the Melbourne Renegades, that uh, are having an absolutely terrible season. They're back in action uh, tonight against the Adelaide Strikers. Um, just the one win. They've had three really heavy defeats. We'll talk to their assistant coach, uh, Simon Helmet, to try and get an idea of what has gone wrong uh, with the Melbourne Renegades uh, this season. Uh, bottom of the table and what they can do to turn this uh, around. Champions two years ago, pretty disappointing season last year, and uh, it's shaping the same again for the Melbourne Renegades. So we'll speak to Simon uh, Helmet about that uh, basketball. Plenty going on in the world of basketball, potentially uh, during the show today. We'll hear from the NBL about potentially some fixture changes uh, due to the COVID situation uh, in Melbourne and in Sydney. We know uh, the South East Melbourne Phoenix, for example, they're down uh, in Hobart. We're going to speak to their import, Kiefer Sykes, who's got an amazing story to tell. I mean, obviously, we've all been affected uh, heavily here in Australia uh, by COVID-19, but he has been in the thick of it around the world playing basketball this year, whether it's been uh, in Italy, whether it's been in Greece, uh, whether it's been in the United States. So even though we're 
still got some problems here uh, with COVID-19. Um, Kiefer Sykes is just relieved to be in Australia where it's not nearly the problem it is uh, overseas and particularly some places uh, he's played some basketball in recent years. And then the Melbourne Grand Prix is on the agenda again. Uh, it sounds like there's a good chance that it won't be the season opener. Does that mean we even have a Grand Prix in Melbourne in 2021, of course, it was cancelled right at the last minute uh, last year due to the developing COVID situation. We'll speak to one of the best in the business when it comes to all forms of motorsport, and that is Tim Hodges, around about 2.30, about just what is the future in 2021 uh, for the Australian Grand Prix. Also, I'd love to take your calls today, one three hundred seven three six seven three six, 736 736 or send us a temper text on the temper text machine, temper a mattress like no other. Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen on the back of Steph Curry's sixty two points yesterday. Now, unfortunately, there was no spectators in the stadium to see it, but I know the boys on breakfast this morning, Jack Heverin and Nick Del Santo, they talked about great sporting performances against the odds. Uh, I'd love to know what the best sporting performances you have seen live in the flesh. It can be from a team or it can be from an individual. It might be in Australia. It might have been on your travels uh, overseas, maybe an American sport. Maybe you've gone to a great game of uh, English Premier League football or an FA Cup. You might have gone to a US Masters or you might have gone to a Grand Slam uh, overseas. So give us a call on 1300 736 736 to give us your nominations. Uh, plenty coming through already uh, on the temper text machine. For example, uh, one here saying Australia versus England. Uh, in the Ashes at the Adelaide Oval, that amazing test where Australia came from nowhere uh, to win after England had made 450 uh, in the first inning. Some others coming through. Michelle Payne's win uh, in the Melbourne Cup in 2013. 15. Of course, Cathy Freeman's uh, 400 at the 2000 Olympics uh, is getting strong nominations. Uh, one here from Tomo, who's just stirring the pot a little bit. Uh, Brendan Favola kicking eight goals as Carlton came from eight goals behind to, to defeat your beloved Bombers Jewels in 2007. Yeah, I was at that game, Tomo. And Fev absolutely destroyed us. Like this one a bit more uh, from an Essendon perspective. Uh, round 16, 2001, when the Bombers came from 69 points down uh, to defeat uh, North Melbourne. Uh, another one here, Leo Barry's mark, of course, uh, in the 2005 Grand Final. Another one here, uh, Mitchell Johnson's amazing spell, the Whacker, uh, in the Ashes in 2013. So keep your nominations coming through. Uh, a couple that might get you thinking from my uh, point of view, uh, from a football point of view, this was the, the greatest performance of two players uh, on the same day. Uh, round six, uh, 1993 at the MCG. It was the Bombers and the Cats, and between them, Gary Ablett, and Paul Salmon kicked 14 goals between them. I was lucky enough to be there as a 12-year-old. Grenvold's kicking towards full forward, looking for Salmon. Yes, he does well, does very well, does extremely well. Magnificent stuff by Salmon. Hills, the herd, Ablett. Snap, number 10. And off the left foot. Oh. Fourteen goals, seven to Gary Ablett, and Geelong lose by four goals. At the other end, Paul Salmon completely overshadowed when any other time you kick ten goals, seven yourself, and he kicked them in three quarters because he hurt his hamstring uh, late in the third term. I got the softest of free kicks to kick his tenth at the start of the final quarter, and then he was off. So from an AFL uh, point of view, that is certainly the best I've seen. We'll get to Pav uh, in Bondi uh, very shortly, but the other one, 
not AFL for me. This is the, in the world of football. It was the 2007 A-League Grand Final between Melbourne and Adelaide, but essentially it was Archie Thompson versus Adelaide. Five goals for Archie Thompson in that grand final. The victory won 6-0. Uh, Christian Sarkis was the other player to score uh, right at the end. But to see a player score five goals, A, in a game of football, and B, uh, on the biggest stage, grand final, packed house at, uh, well, Etihad Stadium, I think it was known uh, back then, was an unbelievable event uh, to beat to as well. Uh, Pat from Bondi has joined us on the line. You can join us anytime, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 Best caller today, 18 holes of golf for two, thanks to Club Mandalay, a must-clay play course in Melbourne so not really golfing weather today but certainly later in the week uh, it'll be some great times for some golf out there at Club Mandalay uh, Pav thanks for your call yeah Jules how are you buddy oh, well mate yourself you got one for us very good yeah it was uh, 2012 a buddy and I were uh, we were fortunate enough just to get like courtside tickets to the um, old in Golden State, and now Golden State weren't anything back then, but got to see Paddy Mills be the first Aussie to win an MVP of the game. Um, it was when I think he put up about 32 points because San Antonio were resting their bench because um, they were just on the cusp of playoffs. So it was kind of cool. We were all decked out in Golden State yeah, nice. uh, gear, but then um, <laughs> we were cheering, and he was probably thinking, "Who are these weirdos cheering <laughs> for me?" <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was, it was really cool. Oh, awesome, awesome! Any uh, any sort of locally that uh, come to mind for you that you've attended in Australia? Uh, in Australia, I'm just trying to. Think, oh, look, one sporting achievement would probably be an old Melbourne boy and went and saw uh, Buddy kick that amazing goal when he was back in the uh, brown and gold on the wing. Um, we were on that actual wing that he was running down, and I think was it Hooker? Oh, he, poor, um, old Kale Hooker. poor old Kyle Hooker. Poor old Kyle. He's played 200 odd games, and they just keep showing that. Even showed it on his milestone on Fox Footy this year. But you're, I was at that game as well, and I must admit, as an Essence fan, you just had to sit back and go. How the hell did he do that? Because he, remember he kicked the goal earlier in the last quarter, similar, where he ran away from Mark McVeigh. But the one I get on Kyle Hooker was an unbelievable piece of play. Amazing. Thanks for your call, Pav. Uh, appreciate your memories there. Uh, Raf in Meadow Heights has got one for us as well. Afternoon, Raf. Thanks for your call. You got us, Raf? Yeah, I got you, mate. Can yeah, you hear mate. me? Yeah, I got you, mate. Thanks for your call. You got, got a, a memory for us? Yeah, the, I'm not a soccer fan, but I do remember the Manchester City when they won the title in the last two or three minutes when Manchester United thought they'd won it. That was a big one. Oh, Sergio Aguero's goal in the last minute. That was... I don't think we'll ever see a finish to a, a Premier League season like that again. Because you've got to remember, too, that they needed two goals uh, in the last five minutes to win that. Ed and Dzeko scored a header in the 90th minute, and then still you thought, this is not going to happen. Um and they scored again. Unbelievable drama. And uh, as you say, Manchester United, they'd won their game at Sunderland. They were sitting there waiting. They thought they'd won it. And then the news came through uh, that this game was a couple of minutes behind and uh, they got beaten. Yeah, In terms of drama, I don't think that uh, that, that can be beaten in terms of uh, world football. Have you got one you've attended uh, locally that sort of stands out for you, Raf? Um, yeah, I went to the prelim between Carlton and Essendon. 
um, thinking we had no hope, and then oh. wake up Kuda Fides. That was one of the best days of my life. Why did you have to bring that up, Raf? Why did you have to do that to me? I've just got a text from our man here, Sammy Edmund, who's a mad Carlton supporter, who's just texted me exactly the same thing. And Sam and I were in uni together at the time, and I remember going in that Monday and having to face him. It was just horrendous because I... I was nervous about it all week, but I think every other Essendon fan thought, ah, we'll beat Carlton easily. It was the worst day I've ever had at the football. So, hey, Raph, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, but from a personal point of view, that was an absolute disaster if you're an Essendon fan. I don't think Essendon fans will ever get over that one. But uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And the great man, Anthony Kudafides, was uh, unbelievable. Raph, uh, thanks uh, for your call. Plenty more coming through on the temper text. We'll read them out uh, throughout the afternoon. Not surprised to you. November 16, 2005 has come through pretty strongly. Australia versus uh, Uruguay. Uh, this is a good one from Rod from Ivanhoe. I was there when Gary Sobers scored 254 at the MCG in 1971 in a World Eleven versus Australia. Jeez, there's some anti-bombers people on here today. The best individual performance for me was when Mark Lacroix kicked 12 goals for West Coast against Essendon at Marvel Stadium, or probably Eddie had as it was uh, back then. So keep them coming through on the temper text, 0433-981116. Keep giving us a call, 1300-736-736. Going to chat to Ian Healy very, very shortly. But just some breaking news out of the United States. And once again, it's a real concern uh, for young Aussie basketball star Dante Exum now playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, he's hurt himself in a non-contact... It, I've just watched the vision. It looks like your classic uh, Achilles tendon injury. Olga Dulich from ESPN is reporting that the Cavs are saying it's a calf strain and you'll sit out the rest of the match. But uh, let's have a listen to the audio of how um, the Cavs commentary team called this injury to Dante Exum a short time ago. Dante Exum appears injured. He goes down. Bacon goes all the way. He's been such a huge contributor to this team. Dante has dealt with injuries throughout his six-year career. That appeared to be a non-contact injury. Ugh, it certainly was. Yeah, it's like that classic one where he's just running and he turns around like he's been kicked in the calf and there's no one there. So let's hope it is only a calf strain and it's not anything uh, to do with the Achilles. Uh, John and Darren, hang on. We'll get to you after the break with your memories. Also coming up on the after the break on SEN Afternoons, we'll chat to Australian wicket-keeping royalty Ian Healy. Welcome back to Afternoons. Julian DeStoop with your big show coming up. We're going to speak plenty of BBL with Melbourne Stars batsman Hilton Cartwright. We've got the, also got the Renegades assistant coach Simon Helmet. Some basketball uh, with Phoenix import Kiefer Sykes and some motorsport and particularly Formula One uh, with Tim Hodges. But a uh, great pleasure to welcome our next guest to the show, Australian cricketing legend. And uh, I'm sure he might pop into Maccas for a McRib and an El Maco too. They're back at Maccas this summer. And we're speaking about, of course, uh, Ian Healy. Ian, thanks for your time and Happy New Year. Yeah, thanks very much, Dylan. Yeah, I've had a, I've had a McRib. I haven't had an El Maco, actually. The McRib was pretty easy to eat, get through, I reckon. Oh, you're still in ripping Nick, though, Heels, so I'm sure you don't have too much uh, Maccas, <laughs> do you? Yeah, love Maccas. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, a bit more moderation than once was the case. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Now, this, it's been a fascinating build-up uh, to this test at the SCG. Just heard Justin Langer speak before, and it sounds like David Warner's not 100% fit, but he's going to play. Is, is that the right decision, do you think, given these two test matches are pretty tight in terms of the time between them, and he's such an important person for Australian cricket against all forms? Should we be taking a bit of a risk with David Warner for this test match? Uh, probably not, but I trust that the risk must be pretty low level. Um, I trust that the, 
that, uh, you know, our doctors and medicos and strength and conditions are pretty conservative. Um, and, and so I've got to trust that they're not really being that risky with Warner. Um, but I'd, I wouldn't, if it were, if it was touch and go, I wouldn't be risking him because, uh, he's such a power athlete and th- that area of his body, the groin or whatever it was, an adductor or whatever, uh, is, is right under strain. If he's going to bat for long periods and, and he's going to field well, and uh, you know, with his with his speed and and strength combination, he's putting everything under pressure. Um, and then if that, if you're under pressure physically, it's harder to be uh, as confident mentally as you need to be. So he's taking on a lot, but I trust that the risk is not that high. Any concerns for a player like David Warner? Um, he hasn't played a competitive game since November. Is that a concern yeah. with someone like yeah. David or or these natural talents or great players that they don't need? much warm-up cricket to perform at the top level yeah yeah um for me it would be really difficult you know the type of player i I need to get get some game time under my belt and get get the feel for everything again but these players are much more able to uh enter uh into the the top level contest straight away Uh, that they do it uh at every in every franchise they go to whether it be the ipl or come back to the bbl and um, they seem to be able to chop and change much better than we once could. I marvel at rugby league players, for example, who might have eight weeks off and straight back into the NRL. Um, I, I, I find that quite astonishing. So this is another one that, he, again, he's taking on a lot by coming back into this this really intense fire that is India. Um, it's a great contest, and and he's certainly challenging himself. Speaking about uh, contests, we're speaking to Australian wicket-keeping great Ian Healy about the third test between Australia and India. It's a fascinating contest right now between Steve Smith and the Indians, their bowlers, their tactics. Right now it's not really a contest because India have got Steve Smith's measure. Do you think they've worked him out? How do you think Steve Smith will go about trying to get back uh, into some form uh, given the, the way he's been dismissed so far in this series? Oh, yeah, well, he's got to forget about it. You know, I don't think it's a valid way of getting him out. It's just it's just happened a couple of times. He's played the shot down the leg side a little little loosely, a little carelessly, um, and, oh, he's went straight to the fielder, you know? So I think he, he can be much better at this plan. So I, I, I will say he's going to show more caution and, and play with much more diligence around that corner. Um, and I think it's a wasted field position, or he's got to he's got to make it a wasted field position, and not not have the fielder there for long. You know, just don't don't tangle with that delivery. If it's if it's on your hip or if it's uh, at your ribs, uh, get out of the way of it and uh, let the bowlers waste energy. You know, so so yeah, that, that's going to be fascinating because it's it's exactly what you do against Bradman. You know, if you're playing against Bradman nowadays the video and the vision you'd be watching of how he plays would be incredible. And there'd be very, very distinct plans you could deploy and try. So, you know, Bradman then would have have the ability and uh, to to overcome them or not. Steve Smith certainly got that ability, but again, it's going to be a a little hair-raising start for him, I bet. How would it have been for him, do you think? Because we know what Steve Smith's like. He's a bit of a... He's a batting nerd. He's a bit of an obsessive-compulsive. We see the way he twitches out in the middle and he, he hasn't been sort of uh, had people get the better of him for quite some time. How do you think he's sort of gone about his thought processes and, and his work in the nets to try and get through this? No, I've got no idea um, exactly how he'd be doing it. So, But 
he's just got to get back to absolute basics, real simple thoughts and not too many. Um, and that's that's what you do. When you bat well, you have maybe a song in your head. You don't, you don't even have to... <laughs> your, your brain is working, but you, you don't even have to mouth the words of watch the ball or move your feet or anything like that. He's got to get back to the absolute basic cues that he used in England last year, for example, where he blocked everything out and kept it super simple, and that's how you're able to bat for long periods. So if he's worried about leg getting caught down the leg side, he's no chance. So he's just got to watch the ball and play the shot properly and, and keep it that simple. That's how he'll get through. We were speaking about David Warner off the top. It appears he's going to play, so that's one of the opening positions sorted. Uh, will pekoski has been ple- cleared uh, medically to play. What, what would you be doing with that other opening spot, uh, finding a partner for Dave Warner? Yeah, I'd be, I'd be uh, trying Will. Yep. Um, but I need, you know, given assurances from medical teams about the concussion, I'd also like to, I'd, you know, I again trust that he's had approvals, you know, having dealt with his anxiety over the last two years, that's the, that's the first thing. Then the physical um, and physiological um, aspects of concussions, knowing that he's going to be attacked with short deliveries, and can he take all that on and still, you know, bat as well as as he has in Sheffield cricket. So, you know, if the doctors and then the psycho- psychologists and psychiatrists are happy for him to be exposed to this ultimate pressure in world cricket, I'm happy. So, so because he's good enough, you know, I don't. I've never heard of anyone, maybe Badman, but in their, you know, before their age 22, they've made three double hundreds mm. in first class cricket. It's an incredible record. He must be very special. But again, he's putting it all un, uh, under the microscope. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point that you make. And I guess on the, on the, on the positive, it's exciting time for Australian cricket, is it? If we see Will, uh, we've got Cameron Green, and obviously will play again, and he showed great maturity uh, in that second innings down in Melbourne. So if you've got Water and uh, Pekoski playing, and obviously Labashane and Smith are playing and Green's playing, that means one of Wade or Travis Head is not playing. Uh, for you, which one would you yep. keep in the side if, if that's the way they go? Oh, I'd keep Matthew Wade, um, and Travis just has to bide his time a bit longer. Um, so, you know, and, and I like the fact that um, he's he's been sort of uh, identified as a potential leader in the future. So he doesn't have to be on the bench for long, but, but he needs to really get his technique right and score big, big runs when he gets starts. So I'd, I'd be thinking, Wadey, that batting lineup is not scaring India, right? And it, and it wouldn't really scare, uh, you know, a good opposition. So they've got to step up here. Marnus has been uh, sort of a little bit patchy and, and risky the way he's batting. Steve, as you've talked about, under the pump with these Indian tactics. Uh, Matthew Wade and Travis Head haven't done a whole lot. You, you know, we're talking about the great maturity of Cameron Green. Well, that's finished now. He's a test cricketer. You know, maturity is nothing. You need to play and perform. And otherwise, India will get on top of you as well. So so he has to become a very valuable member of that top six. Payne's batting well at seven. Our bowlers are okay the way they've been batting. So, so everyone's got to really lift here because their batting has been horrible. Um, and it's, it's time. It's time to get it right. Just with Travis Head, I mean, he's, he's made some good scores for Australia. He's played some good cricket for Australia. Does he need to do to to become a better Test player? Is it shot selection? Is it some of the timings of his dismissals has been, I guess, costly for the team? When you look at him, what does he need to do to to 
take that next step and really cement his spot uh, in this Australian team? Yeah, he's got to deliver hundreds. You know, that that's what they've got to do. And it might be, uh, I don't know what a good batsman uh, considers to be a good year. Maybe maybe 400s in a 12-month period. I'm, I'm not sure what that would be, but that's the sort of, the benchmark. He has to find a benchmark that he's happy with. You know, whatever a, a good previous player did, um, and copy it and, and go and emulate it. That, that's how you have to play. You, you have to deliver hundreds. And, uh, you know, I don't think any of them are doing that at the moment. So so hopefully Warner can boost them a little bit. Manus can get compact again and really dig in without, you know, playing pull shots and top edge hook shots and stuff like that. You know, with his 47 he made in Adelaide, he was dropped three or four times. So yep. that that's not uh, quality enough. Um, and Steve has to lift, and Wadey, again, Wadey is another one. He, he's been copping a lot of balls on the body. Um, now, that worked for him in the last test in England last year where Joffre Archer peppered him, and he made 100. So uh, he's got to get through those tough periods and go on and make triple figures as well. So, so yeah, that, you know, Tim Payne got him out of a lot of trouble in Adelaide. Our batting, our top six, has not been good enough. No, it certainly hasn't. We're speaking to Australian wicket-keeping great Ian Healy in the build-up to the third test between Australia and India. Ian, from the Indians' point of view, it was a sensational response uh, in Melbourne, but we know they've got another injury now with Yadav, so no Yadav. Uh, Ishan Sharma's not here as well. Uh, Mohamed Shami's not here. Virat Kohli, of course, has gone home. Can they do it again? Can they rise again despite some more personnel problems, do you think? Yeah, they can, definitely, and uh, they will... They'll, they'll hold no fears for playing in Sydney. Um, it really suits them. Uh, Ravi Ashwin and Jadeja, I think they finally picked the right spinners. Um, and depend, depending on how it looks, they might pick another one. But, but those two bowlers can bowl long, long periods and keep it really tight and not tire. So, you know, and then their batsmen quite like it, um, but batting against in these conditions. You know, that there's no real spice in the pitch for our quicks and they have to toil hard. Um, and you know that you know uh, I think Shubman Gill finally getting a go and showing everyone what he's capable of was outstanding. I like Rishabh Pant rather than Rudiman uh, Saha as the wicketkeeper. He's a really gutsy, dangerous yeah. left-handed hitter down the order um, who has thrown his wicket away a little bit. So he he might be ready to stick around as well. Um, and Rahani seems to be the, a calm bloke. They're responding they're responding to beautifully. Um, and, of course, Rohit Sharma comes back. So, you know, if it's a flat batting pitch and he gets away on you, he, he's like Vera, uh, what's he going to say, Wag? You yep. know, um, he's Verinda. unbelievable. He can be 200 by T. So, yeah, Verinda, say, Wag. So, oh, yeah, they can, they can rise again. Don't worry about these boys. Yeah, he's an exciting talent for sure. Just finally, Ian, there's been a lot of debate about this test and where it should be played. And we saw yesterday the capacity's cut back to about 25% now at the SCG. Um are you comfortable this match is being played at the SCG? Do you think it's the right decision? Uh, I, I was hopeful. I'm not sure what the right decision is. It's such a hard thing they've had to deal with, chopping and changing borders and and uh, and the, having these teams come in and out. I, and, and the tradition of the New Year's test being at Sydney, it's nice. I, I'm glad Sydney have got a test and didn't miss out. Um, but I, my thinking was... Uh, because the borders are open between Melbourne and Queensland, um, you could come to Brisbane for this test and then go back to your hottest spot, which seems to be Sydney, and play that that test last. 
Um, so that, that's what I was I was hopeful of. I'd, I'd really hope that playing this one in Sydney doesn't cost uh, the series a game in Brisbane. Yeah. Um, because that's where Australia loves to play. Um, and and if this one happens to be, you know, a draw, and I believe there's weather around, mm. so if it happens to be a draw, come to Brisbane for the decider. That'll be something to, something to behold, you know. So so um, yeah yeah. Fingers crossed. Nothing nothing untoward disrupts this series anymore. Yeah, and for the Brisbane people as well, we don't want to see uh, the Gabba not get a test this summer. And Ian, you're going to be part of the SEN commentary team uh, for that fourth test at the Gabba. So we certainly want it to be played uh, in Brisbane, doing some great things up at <laughs> SEN in Brisbane as well. Uh, thanks for your time this afternoon, and uh, we look forward to touching base again soon. Okay, thanks, Julian. It's a big week. It's a massive week. Uh, thank you to Ian Healy, uh, one of the greats of Australian cricket. Got any thoughts on what he had to say there about selection? Give us a call, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. As he said, he has a saucy McRib. You can try a legendary El Maco as well. Both are back at Macca's this summer for a limited time only. We'll take a break and here on SEN Afternoons and check in with the newsroom. Welcome back to SEN Afternoons. Great to have Ian Healy on the line now with his thoughts on the Australian cricket team. Uh, just reiterating with Warner playing, he believes Will Pekoski uh, should be given a go as opener. And then there's a decision between Matthew Wade and Travis Head. Uh, he believes Wade deserves to keep his spot in the team. And Travis Head needs to, uh, well, I was going to say go back to Shield Cricket and find some form. There's no Shield Cricket uh, at the moment, but he believes he's certainly a long-term player for Australia. Just 27 uh, years of age, uh, Travis Head. But uh, right now, he's just not quite getting uh, the business done at the level. And uh, Matthew Wade slightly ahead. So uh, that is the thoughts of Ian Healy. A couple more off the temper text. Uh, This one's saying from AG, very interesting that Ian Healy is keen on Pant over Saha as the keeper, as Saha is probably the best keeper in the world. And Darren Berry said last week he believes he is the best keeper uh, in the world, but uh, Pant's uh, batting is probably ahead, and we saw uh, that in the last uh, test. Plenty more nominations, too, uh, coming through for great sporting performances you've seen uh, live in the fresh flesh. One here from Matt. Saw a bloke called Darren Jarman kick five in the last quarter of a grand final in 1997. Handy, says Matt. Uh, 1978, Windy Hill. Young Peter Knight's. And Paul Vanderhaar took screamers over each other all game. Vanders was in front at half time, but young Peter got the points after half time. That was rusty. I'm not sure if AG was at this match, but if he was, he's one of the luckiest in the world. The Laxman Dravid partnership, fourth day Eden Gardens 2001. Another anti Essendon one here. Fitzroy versus Essendon, elimination final 1986. That was James uh, in Morty Alec. Great day for the Roys. Mick Conlon kicking that winning goal. Uh, with seconds to go. And uh, when I was younger, down at Cadinia Park, Lockett and Ablett at either end, and Gary Ablett kicked his 100th, and we all ran on the field. That is from Zach. Uh, I think John from Mill Park wants to join in uh, on the open line, and uh, he's got uh, a moment for us as well. G'day, John. Uh, Julian, I think you probably won't uh, know this because you guys only follow one one type of soccer, and that's the English one, which is a real shame because there are other countries that play World football probably better than hey, the Poms. Hey, we, just had the Melbourne, we just had Melbourne victory. Archie Thompson, five goals on it. It's not just Premier League here. No, nah, nah, that's you just mentioned Manchester. See, let me go back to one that you probably guys don't remember, but I wasn't there, but I had the pleasure of watching it with my late father, 1982, Italy versus Brazil, when yes. always what Brazil had to do was draw the game to go through, and Italy won 3-2, and the rest is history. They went on and won the World Cup. That is one of the greatest games of football you will ever see. That was the hat-trick from the late Paolo Rossi, wasn't it? 
Oh, well, there you go, Julian. See, you do, you do know something about the Italian football. There you go. Thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very sad, the loss of Paolo Rossi this year too, wasn't it? Uh, sort of had Diego Maradona, and then I think it was about three weeks later, uh, Paolo Rossi uh, passed away. What about uh, locally, John? You got a, a memory from any sporting event that uh, you attended and there was either a great team performance or an individual performance? Yeah, I, I, I saw Shane Warne take the hat-trick. Um, ah, at the MCG. In, uh, in one of the cricket, at the MCG, when David Boone took that spectacular catch. Because yeah, that was um, the fifth day, was wasn't it? Game. So there wasn't exactly a big crowd yep. there on that day. No, there was hardly anyone there at all. I mean, you were allowed to walk in through the gates um, for free, actually. And, uh, oh, magnificent. Which was, uh, and I just happened to walk in and I watched the hat-trick, which was sensational to watch Warnie do that. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, John, thanks for your, your contributions. And don't worry, we know about other leagues around the world as well. But uh, great to get uh, that, that great memory of the late uh, Paolo Rossi, one of the great Italian strikers. Uh, one of our good friends here on the program and across the station is Troy in Collie, and he's uh, called in to talk about the cricket. Good to talk to you again, Troy. You too, Jules. Long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 24 hey, um, hours. Yeah. Hey, um, two comments. Steve Smith, I see... He's um, put something in the local paper, found and lost. He, he found his hand, now he lost them. Um, Dave <laughs> <laughs> uh, Warner's injury, mate. Yes. Do you, uh, I'd like to know, you and the listeners, would his injury influence if Payne wins the toss, whether it's a bat or a bowl? Uh, no, I don't think he can do that. I, I don't think he can... Go, oh, well, we better bowl to give Dave some extra time. And, and what does it matter anyway? I mean, he's in the field. He's an agile fieldsman. Uh, he, he gives everything in the field. So I, I don't think it makes much difference. He's going to be changing and turning direction and whether he's batting. He's going to be changing uh, direction. He's going to be sprinting, um, whether he's in the field. So if, if they, they won't do that. That will not affect the decision uh, at all, even though he's not 100% fit. But as Ian Healy said there, in, in quite rightly, and he knows the medical staff really well, generally they are quite conservative. So they are going to give him the tick off. If, even if he's not 100%, uh, he must be very, very close uh, to full fitness. Again, Troy, uh, thanks for your call as always. We'll take another quick break here on Afternoons. We'll be back to take more calls and uh, read some of your texts after the break. Afternoons on SEN. Welcome back to Afternoons. Great to have your company, Julian DeStoot, with you until 3 o'clock. Just a bit of live sport going on around the world. Uh, cricket, New Zealand versus Pakistan. An amazing partnership between the skipper, Kane Williamson, and Henry Nichols. As a short time ago, comes to an end. They put on 369 runs. Uh, Nichols gone for 157. The captain, Kane Williamson, and the number one batsman in the world, uh, is not out 177. In the NBA, Ben Simmons, Philadelphia 76, is back in action today. Uh, doing it well again. They've started the season really well, 5-1. and one. Uh, They're 16 points up against the Charlotte Hornets early in the final term. Uh, Simmons so far, 10 points, 6 assists and 7 rebounds. If you didn't catch up on the Premier League this morning, Liverpool going down to Southampton 1-0. So uh, just two points from their last three games, uh, Liverpool. Very, very tight at the top. They're actually equal now with Manchester United, uh, who have a game in hand. A bit of a break for the Premier League uh, with the FA Cup uh, on this weekend, but uh, it's very, very tight. Just seven points between the top ten teams uh, in the English Premier League. We're still taking your nominations for the best sporting performances you've seen live, whether it's a team or an individual, off the back of Steph Curry, 62 points for the Golden State Warriors yesterday. Uh, Kelsey uh, in Brisbane's been good enough to call in with a nomination. Uh, afternoon, Kelsey. Yeah, g'day, mate. Um, I've actually got a couple. Go for it. Uh, when I was about um, 
eight years old, mum pulled me out of school to go to the um, 1995 Sheffield Shield Grand Final. Um, yes, good one. Queensland finally won it. Um, and I was there when Alan Border played his last innings when he was out for 98. So <laughs> that was pretty cool. And um, the other one was um, when uh, Brisbane Bears at the time beat Essendon by one point in, um, in that final in 96. Uh, I was at the other end of the field when Gavin Wanganin kicked the ball into the post right near the end there. And, um, yeah, I always remembered that one. Yeah, um, a, there seems really to be a game, theme here, Kelsey. There seems to be a lot of great sporting <laughs> events that Essendon end up on the wrong side. I remember that as a, as a kid. So the Bombers that final series. Lost yeah. to a point by Brisbane, smashed the Eagles, and then lost by a point because a bloody plugger after the siren. But uh, that was an exciting <laughs> time, wasn't it, for the Bears? Because... Uh, they won their first, that was their first finals victory, and uh, '95, the year before, they charged home and made the finals and nearly beat. They were very good against Carlton in that first final uh, in 1995, mm. in a year where Carlton only won two games. So that would have been exciting times. But just going back to what you were saying about the Sheffield Shield, I remember growing up, it was such a curse, wasn't it, on Queensland that they'd never won the Sheffield Shield with all these fantastic players that they'd produced that had gone on to play for Australia. They just hadn't been able to win the Sheffield Shield despite going close. Uh, so many times. So for a local, that must have been a, a massive event up there when they finally broke through and won a shield. Yeah, it was. Um, I'm not sure if I was there on the final day when they actually did it, but I do remember seeing it on TV and the ground was completely packed, um, which you just don't see anymore with shield games. But um, yeah, no, it was, it was all over the news and everything. It was a really big thing up here when that happened. So yeah, it was um, it was really nice to actually be able to go at least to one day of the game anyway. And um so are you CAB's a final Are you a Lions man now, Brisbane Lions? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you've seen some pretty good yeah, times. No, I've been up the here Lions only well. uh, and so maybe yeah, some good yeah, times definitely. ahead for the Lions as well. Hey, Kelsey, thank you so much uh, for your call and sharing some of your memories. We'll take another quick break here on SEN Afternoons. A uh, reminder coming up after the one o'clock news. Uh, plenty of BBL. Simon Helmet uh, from the Renegades, assistant coach, and also Melbourne Stars batsman. Hilton Cartwright will read out more of your nominations for great sporting moments seen live after the break. This is SEN Afternoons. Welcome back to Afternoons. Julian Stoop with you through until 3 o'clock. Plenty of cricket coming up on the program, in particular Big Bash after 1 o'clock. Simon Helmet, uh, Melbourne Renegades assistant coach. They're back in action against the Strikers tonight. And also Hilton Cartwright to discuss that great game of cricket between the Stars and the Hurricanes down in Hobart. Last night, we're also taking nominations all throughout the show for the best sporting performances you've seen in the flesh by a team or an individual. That's off the back of Steph Curry's 62 points for the Golden State Warriors in the NBA yesterday. James has jumped on the line uh, with a nomination. Afternoon, James. Oh, James is not there, so I'll read through a couple of others off the temper text machine. Getting plenty coming through, and uh, keep them Coming through. This is more like it. I was at the G when the Mighty Bombers came back from 50 points or so. It was 69 against North Melbourne in 2001. I distinctly remember asking my dad if we could go home in the second quarter. Bloody glad he said no, says Matt and Parkville. This is a good one here. No name attached to this one, but uh, very lucky to go to these three events, particularly two of them, given they were overseas. First one was in Antigua when Brian Lara hit 400 not out to break Matthew Hayden's world record. He of course, made 380 against Zimbabwe at the Wacker. And then uh, back home, watch Federer destroy Martin Del Potro 6-3, 6-love, 6-love in an Oz Open quarterfinal, only giving up a handful of points in the final two sets. Also at Manchester United 7 against Roma 1 in a Champions League quarterfinal. 
Uh, here's another one from Craig. Just another anti-Essendon sentiment. One of my favourite days was when St Kilda punched the living daylights out of the bombers at Moorabbin uh, in the animal game. That was 1978. And, uh, yeah, it was sort of Carl Dittrich and uh, Gary Sidebottom. And in fairness, the bombers handed out a few that, that day from the, the footage I've seen. Uh, so thank you for that, Craig. Hi, Jules. Was at the 1986 Davis Cup, Australia versus Sweden at Kuyong. Uh, three days of Davis Cup stress, tension and celebration was amazing. And another one here, uh, Brisbane Raw versus Central Coast. 2011 grand final, nil all after full time. Raw down 2-0. Ten minutes to go, they come back to draw 2 all and win on penalties. I was amongst the 50,000 other screaming Raw fans at Suncorp. The greatest comeback ever. Atmosphere was amazing. And that was from Steve. I think we've got James now. Uh, James, thanks for your call. G'day, man. How you going? Good, mate. What do you got for us? I mean, I honestly cannot go past Alistair Cook's knock on Boxing Day 17-18 Ashes. Um, I was there for literally every ball of his innings because I was the first year I got my MCC membership. So I took it, um, you know, with every opportunity I could and it was one of the best pieces of batting I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's a really good nomination, James. The highest rec- test score ever at the MCG. He's up there uh, in uh, in the stands uh, with a plaque. It wasn't the most exciting test match, but that was a great knock uh, by Alistair Cook uh, in that Ashes series. Uh, James, uh, thank you so much for your call. We'll keep taking your nominations. But uh, after the break, it's been a horrible season so far for the Melbourne Renegades. Can they turn it around starting with the Adelaide Strikers tonight? We'll chat to assistant coach Simon Helmet. Welcome back to Afternoons. Great to have your company on what is a pretty dreary Melbourne summer's day. Uh, people out there in puffer jackets and beanies. It shouldn't be happening on the 5th of January, but hopefully the weather will pick up by the end of the week. Still to come on the show today, Melbourne Stars uh, batsman Hilton Cartwright to discuss that great game of cricket last night between the Stars and the Hurricanes. We'll chat some basketball with South East Melbourne Phoenix import Kiefer Sykes. He's got a great story to tell about some of the challenges he had in 2020 and some motorsport and particularly what's going to happen with the Formula One Grand Prix in Melbourne with the great man Tim Hodges after 2.30. But we're going to start with a bit more uh, BBL uh, in this second hour. Thanks to Henley Holmes, transparent pricing pricing no spin and that that's perfect for the next man because he always calls it as he sees it it's the assistant coach of the of the melbourne renegades in simon helmet who's been good enough to join us this afternoon simon uh, thanks for your time and happy new year happy new year jules good to speak to you mate yeah great to chat again um before we get stuck into to the melbourne renegades on the show today we've been discussing great sporting moments performances you've seen live either by an individual or by a team you've obviously seen some great cricket live and been involved in some great cricket. I'm sure you've been some other sporting events as well. Is there a couple that stick out for you? Oh, yeah, there's one that does, but it probably doesn't really gel with too many of the listeners. It was the Bolton Wanderers versus Reading Division 1 final at Wembley, 1995. Wow, that's different. I love it. Mate, that was just one of the... I was was playing just great cricket over in the the Bolton League in in a club called Little Lever. And, uh, and I got a couple of tickets down. I never understood or realised the absolute fanatic support for particular teams and why one team's sitting over one side and one team's sitting over the other. And I must admit, obviously our MCG is amazing. Some IPL matches is probably the other thing I'd say to you, Jules, the winning championship in 2016, the crowd noise at Chinnaswamy Stadium, incredible. But 1995, Bolton Wanderers Reading. We were 2-0 down after the first 11 minutes, then a penalty against us. We saved it. 
end up getting up 4-3. I saw grown men cry that day. <laughs> I think I've seen a bit of highlights <laughs> of that on YouTube, actually, at the old Wembley Stadium uh, as yeah. well. It's one of the great sporting events of the year, the playoff final, because there's so much at stake uh, getting yeah. into the Premier League. So that that's a, a great memory. Now, <laughs> getting stuck into the uh, Melbourne Renegade, it's been a tough season so far, Simon. Um What's sort of the mood in the squad at the moment? And uh, it's just, it's you know, losing games is one thing, but the size of some of the defeats has, has been pretty concerning. Yeah, that's been the most uh, disappointing part of it, Jules, is that uh, whenever we've uh, come up against a hefty score, twice 200, and then most recently at Optus uh, against the Scorchers, you know, up, up around 180, we just haven't, we haven't had composure, we haven't had partnership, we haven't been able to work our way through chasing down those scores. There's, there's, there's no concerns within the camp. There's no concerns with the group. Uh, the leadership, uh, everything is great. Finchie's doing a great job, Michael Klinger. Um, but we're just not quite performing as, as well as we'd like to at the moment. And look, we're probably getting to a stage now, Julian, where we need to, we need to win a lot of games of cricket. Uh, it becomes a little bit more serious for us, and we need to get, get it back um, tonight against the Strikers. Uh, we, we're going to be missing uh, Riley Rassell, our overseas import, uh, with the Hampshire injury yep. and Sean Marsh is away with family reasons. But the wife's about to have a baby. So, look, we're under the pump, but this gives us a great chance for, you know, the guys, uh, some of the younger guys who've had, had some bits and pieces roles uh, over, the t- over the tournament so far. You mentioned Michael Klinger there, and uh, still in coaching terms, he, he's a relatively new coach, obviously having only yeah. you know, given up playing a couple of years ago. How, you said everything's obviously all good and the spirits are high, but how's he sort of been coping with, with some of these performances? Have you seen any change to his mood or any change to how he's sort of addressing things with with the players? One thing about Maxi, he's very consistent as he played his cricket, yeah. as you'd remember. <laughs> very measured, uh, very positive, uh, and always and very hardworking and organised. So, look, I, I feel for, for, for Michael, it's been, we had, had a tough start to last season, only getting the role just a month or two before the season started. And then assembling a team together and, and, and working this year uh, has been really tough during a COVID year. And I know all teams are going through that. But for us, it's been especially uh, difficult with some players not being able to get here on time. And then obviously now having a couple of injuries, it's been a little bit tricky for us. Uh, Imad Wazim couldn't come over to Perth because he uh, was, was in a bubble back uh, and didn't, wasn't able to quarantine in time. So look, there's just been a whole stack of hurdles. But I can't question his, uh, his work ethic and the positive around the group, and the boys love him. When you look at some of the results, and you started the season okay, and you've had a couple of narrow losses, and I guess if you win those couple of games, things can look a bit different. When you lose to Perth by 96, the Thunder 129 runs, and the Sixers 145 runs. Is there a lack of ability of the time for this team to, to dig in and fight a little bit, do you think? I think it's a very good call, and we had a very hard uh, conversation after last game where where Michael and uh, and the captain Finch and myself, you know, we we spoke very directly, I suppose, uh, to the group in in where we felt that we were doing good things, but where we needed to uh, improve. And one was about accountability, and uh, and at times having to scrap and fight and show some grit during those difficult times. Because you're absolutely right, we won the first game. Uh, we 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 probably should have won two others, and then it all looks very differently. But when you've lost uh, five or six, and then you've got those three hefty losses. It does look very, it does look very dim. So, look for us. Uh, we've had plenty of discussion. Uh, we probably don't need any more meetings now, uh, Julian. It's all <laughs> about us actually, actually performing on the day and what what we probably term getting the job done. 
There's one part about having plannings and meetings, etc. We've had loads of those. But it's actually individuals at the time assessing the situation, developing a partnership, whether it be bat or ball, and not just showing glimpses of brilliance, but actually showing some real consistency of basics throughout the whole 20 overs. And, that, and that's the key. And that's why the teams like the Sixers are, you know, are up, up the top of the table. Speaking to Simon Helmet, uh, Melbourne Renegades assistant coach ahead of their match against uh, the Strikers tonight. So by the sound of it, you've had some, you know, those meetings, there's been some pretty direct feedback. Is that, has that been from Finchie as well as, as the coaching staff? Oh, absolutely, and, and to each other. And, and, and the good part about that, Julian, it hasn't affected people's personalities, characters or relationships. Uh, but now it's all about getting out there and actually getting the job done for our fans, for ourselves, for our families. And, you know, we probably spoke in depth after the last game because I think, I think that the, the issue we had with the last game also, Julian, is that the wicket was a very good wicket uh, and the score was, certainly wasn't out of reach. And we bowled particularly well on the power play. Kane Richardson's been leading our attack beautifully. Um, some of our fielding efforts, obviously, we saw Mackenzie Harvey the other day. You know, has been excellent. Uh, we just haven't been able to match it uh, throughout the throughout the whole whole twenty overs. If you like, both with bat and ball, and consistent teams and good teams do that. But the messages are being done. It's all about accountability now. And if one gets their opportunity, like we saw with young Jack Presswich, to get your opportunity now, you know, you can certainly set yourself up for the rest of the season for the future. Is confidence a bit of an issue in the team at the moment? Always when you're losing, there's no doubt, Jules, that you, 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 you can feel it and, and the dare to, to execute that skill, whether it be the Yorker or, uh, or, you know, play that power shot down the ground. But, look, that's the balance of T20 cricket. Um, but we probably come into the, go into this second half of the season now probably with less fear, knowing, well, there's not much to lose here. Uh, we, we're, we're down the bottom of the barrel right now. We need to make sure that we find a way uh, to ensure that we improve our performances and play good cricket. We play good cricket and we follow many of our processes on the result will look after itself. And that's our focus right now. I guess one of the positives, and fingers crossed uh, this still happens, and it, it, you know the COVID situation in Melbourne's a little bit dicey at the moment, but you're going to have a nice mm. stretch of home games to finish, which uh, must be, I know every team's had to travel a lot this summer, but that must be a, a nice uh, thing to be looking forward to. Oh, no doubt. Uh, and, you know, we, we believe that we've got a, a spin group that, you know, would be well suited to Marvel. Uh, and that was how we, you know, attempted to assemble our side at, at the, before the season started. So, yeah, obviously we weren't to know that this wasn't get, this was going to happen. We weren't going to be playing as many games at our home ground. It's always nice to be able to play there. And uh, you are right. Usually, when you're in familiar conditions and familiar situations, uh, you know, often uh, you'll, you'll you'll perform um, even better or just have that extra ten percent edge. So, looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing our in our fans. Hopefully, you can come and watch us and and be around us uh, because we know we've got plenty of support there and. Right now, I, I suppose there'll be some disappointed fans out there. So we, we'll be doing our best starting tonight uh, to, to turn the season around and have a really strong second half of this BBL. Yeah, still plenty of time to go. Just We're sort of about halfway through the season. Just given you've, you've coached the Renegades as a head coach, been assistant coach involved in cricket for so long, what have you made of the three new rules that have come into the competition this year? Do you think they're working? Do you like one over the other? What's your assessment of them? Oh, look, I don't think we played the bonus bash boost very well <laughs> in those first two uh, chases for 200. We got, we got rock and roll for a for low score. So, Jules, we didn't nail that very well. Uh, but I think that gives some interest. Uh, and I suppose when it comes to the ladder at the end of the season, because we know it's pretty tight up there at the moment, you know, those bonus points can have an influence. Uh, the surge, some sides have worked it really well. Um, some sides have struggled with it. It's often been a wicket-taking opportunity um, when, the, when the surge has come into play. So that certainly made some interest. 
And, uh, yeah, I think, I don't know what the percentage is, Jules. It's probably a small percentage of games, you know, maybe 10, 20% of the games have used the super sub. It's given the, I think it's given the competition, you know, a, a different uh, blend. Whether we maintain it or not, we'll, we'll wait and see. But I, I think it just gives us another dimension of the game. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully people have enjoyed watching it. It'd be interesting to see actually what the fans think. What, what's, been, what's been the straw poll from your point of view? Oh, I think most fans like it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. particularly, oh, I think you're right. I think some of the, the matches that look like they're going to be one-sided, but the bash boost, you know, it, it can keep you watching, thinking, oh, they're going to have a real crack yeah. here in the first 10 overs to try and get it, even if they don't yeah. win the game. So, look, I think overall uh, most of the fans uh, like the new rules, and uh, I think, I don't know, you're better off to answer this than me, but do you feel like teams are still working out the best ways to use them to their own advantage? I think... Yeah, I think the main one for teams, to be honest, is is the uh, is the second power play, yeah. the second two overs. When, when to maximise that? I think the bash boost usually just plays out for itself. And ironically, we got the boost point <laughs> last game, even though we lost by that large margin. Lost by that large margin. Um, whereas the super sub player, it's usually an exaggerated situation. Mm, it's yeah, usually correct. whether you're so far behind in the game or you've just misread the wicket. Uh, and, you're, and you're looking to try and, uh, you know, maybe add an extra spinner or, or put an extra batter in because the wickets, you know, um, you know, you might need a bit more support there. But, but we'll wait and see. But I think, the, I think the power play one's been the one teams are still working at their best way. Some, the only issue I have with that one is that sometimes it becomes irrelevant uh, because a game's nearly over or yeah. a team doesn't need yeah, to take it, etc. or worry about it. Whereas... Whereas what we did like is knowing there was going to be six overs and two outs. So that might be one that I'll look at to discuss down the track. Yeah, that's, that's certainly an interesting way of looking at it. Just yeah. before I let you go, uh, on a different uh, note, uh, Will Pekoski, obviously someone that's come through the ranks at Victorian Cricket. He's, uh, he's been cleared medically to play in this test. I'm assuming you'd love to see him get an opportunity, but do you think with everything that Will's gone through physically and, and obviously mentally as well, that, that he's, he's ready now? He's ready to step up and play some test cricket? Yeah, look, I don't know Will as well as uh, many other people in the Victorian Victorian camp, but uh, look, he's, he's certainly such a talented and and strong player, uh, and certainly he's been able to overcome many obstacles and hurdles, you know, with his health over the last up couple of seasons. I, I, I'm just trying to work it out, uh, Jules, how he'd actually get if, if David plays, if Warner plays. Yep. Um, Which it sounds like he will. Um, yep. He will. Then does he stay out? But then. Then if Will open, then someone then Wade have to go down and Travis Head would have to miss out. Yeah, that's we just spoke out. to so, Ian Healy that, about that. That's how he would do it. Ah, yeah. right. Yeah. So, so that that that's that, that's the logical way. So it depends. It's hard, I reckon, uh, having two new openers. Not that David's new, but whether you know, pull the trigger now, Wade showed some a bit of grit um, out there. Yeah, he did. Um, and I, I know, I know, he had a. Dopey out in the first innings. You won't mind me saying that, but <laughs> but, uh, but you know. But I think Wadey's just got the. You know, I think Wadey's in a really good batting space. The fact he can bat from one to six, what a versatile yeah. player. Anyway, I think I wouldn't be surprised if they go Wadey and uh, Wadey and uh, Davy, uh, Wadey and Warner, uh, and uh, Will miss out this game. But if 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 uh, Will comes in. Um, well, then, yeah, you'd expect that uh, Travis Head would be the unfortunate one to miss out. Yeah, we're all sitting back and waiting to see what that uh, final 11 will be. Uh, Simon, thank you so much for your time. Uh, always great to chat. And uh, from a Renegades' point of view, let's hope uh, the second half of the season, starting tonight against the Strikers, is uh, far more successful than the first. Uh, good luck tonight and good luck for the rest of the season. Good on you, Jules. Hopefully speak to you after a win soon, mate. Absolutely. Great to chat to Simon Helmet, uh, assistant coach at the Melbourne Renegades. That was thanks to Henley batting...
over 100 house designs. Henley World of Homes. Henley.com.au. And, uh, of course, for Renegades fans, five home games coming up in Melbourne starting from next week. Tickets and memberships are now available. Head to getonred.com.au for more details and uh, plenty of chances to see the Renegades in action uh, at Marvel Stadium uh, for the rest of the season. We'll take a break on SEN Afternoons. Hilton Cartwright from the Melbourne Stars not too far away. Thank you, Sammy. And uh, we're hoping for a pickup in uh, Melbourne weather. It's shocking out there today. It's still raining. There's people in beanies, people in puffer coats. 5th of January. feels like about the 5th of September uh, out there today. But hopefully uh, it is going to turn around. Uh, not too far away from Hilton Cartwright from the Melbourne Stars. But still getting plenty of great nominations and plenty of texts coming through on the Temper text machine. You can join us at any time. Temper, a mattress like no other. 0433 uh, Eleven sixteen. Give us a call on the open line one three hundred seven three six seven three six. As Sammy said, there in the news, uh, Justin Langer, the Australian coach, joined Sam Edmund on mornings today and spoke about David Warner is expected to play. Will Pekoski is cleared to play medically, uh, but no decision uh, has been made there. So we're still got a little bit of an idea of the Australian eleven, but certainly. Um, not uh, setting concrete for this test. And if Pekoski plays, what does that mean for either Matthew Wade uh, or Travis Head? So that's still to play out uh, in the next 48 hours. Uh, a few more off the temper text. Uh, one here about the BBL. We are talking to Simon Helmet from the Renegades before about the new rules. I seem to think most of the feedback is people like them, but uh, here's one from Dom. I don't like it, Jules. BBL has turned into a gimmicky farce. With these crazy new rules and the number of batsmen who throw their wickets away with reverse sweeps slash laps makes me want to spew up, in the words of uh, Terry Wallace. Um, a few more about the greatest events you've seen live or the greatest sporting performances. Uh, one here from Daryl in Latrobe down in Tassie. Bathurst 2011. Watch Garth Tander and Nick Perkat, Master and the Rookie, 40-1 to 1 to win the great race. And this is why I liked it. I reckon Daryl had a quite 50 on them to win, but was awesome to watch from the top of the mountain. Thanks for your thoughts there. Daryl, here we go again. Seriously, there's a theme developing here. Jules, Doggy's kicking 21 consecutive goals against the Bombers in 2019. It was unbelievable. Still referred to often. Even on the current Bulldogs website, which earmarks around 21 Bombers clash as one of the top five Bulldogs games to watch in 2021. Lol. Well... We haven't beaten you since 2014, and uh, round 21, 2000, you knocked us off. We hadn't lost a game all year, so not really looking forward to that game in round 21 uh, this year. Thank you, Joe. I don't mind this one. I was there when Belgrave Heights demolished an out-of-form Fernie Creek in junior tennis in 95 to Stoop and Van Lither on fire that day. We probably smashed a couple of rackets as well. Thank you for that, Andrew from Cranbourne. We're going to take a quick break. Coming up on the other side, Hilton Cartwright from the Stars. Welcome back to Afternoons. Hilton Cartwright just about to join us. A great game between the Stars and Renegades last night. Before we chat to Hilton, let's have a listen at the great catches taken by Andre Fletcher, particularly the second one to dismiss Ben McDermott. Win, a one's a win, a two is a win really for the Stars. Yeah, well, when you're 21 from seven, you hit that beautifully too. Straight to the fielder, they yeah. picked out the fielder on the fence, on square. Oh, huge difference here in the equation between a six and a dot. Oh, is it ever? Hanscom's on strike. Last ball of the over. They need 21 from seven. Be full and wide. Hatcher bowls. And it's a full toss. It's cut all the way. Caught again. Fletcher's taken another screamer. It would have been six had he not caught it. And Fletcher, at full stretch, has grabbed it one metre from the rope. Big difference between a W and a six from the last ball of that over. 
Yeah, another great. Well, it's not often a couple of catches overshadow one of the games of the season where Marcus Thornis made 97 off 55 balls, Ben McDermott 91 off 58 balls. But that was the case yesterday after a couple of freakish catches from Andre Fletcher for the Melbourne Stars helped them defeat the Hurricanes by 10 runs down in Hobart. One man that also played a vital role for the Stars was Hilton Cartwright. And he's been good enough to join us this afternoon. Now, uh, Hilton, thanks for your time and happy new year. Happy New Year, mate. Thanks for having me. And yeah, just mentioning the Spice Man there. He was phenomenal, uh, phenomenal yesterday, and he had a bit of swagger to go with it as well. Well, I'll, I'll get to the catches and his dismissal in a second because he was very unlucky with his dismissal, and he hasn't had a lot, a, lot, a lot of luck with the bat, Andre Fletcher. But yeah, the Spice Man, as you call him, give us a, a bit of an insight into, into what sort of character he is and what do you make of his sort of dance moves after those couple of catches yesterday? Well, early on, he gave us quite a few dance moves in the change rooms and, and at training, and then he went. I think um, had a bit of a, a lean lean run with the with the stick, so his his dance moves sort of faded out quite a bit. Um, but he's a really bubbly guy. I think a lot of West Indians are. They always like the the attention, and as soon as something like that happens, gee, it didn't take him more than a couple of seconds to to think of a new dance. And I mean, he took a, a second catch as well, so he had. He had two things on the go, so I don't know how many he's got in his bank. What was he like after the game, after those two efforts that uh, almost won you the game? Oh, I think he, he was just so relieved to have... He's obviously um, had, a, had a pretty lean run of it, like I said before, but I think he was just so happy to make a, a big contribution in, in such an important way towards the game because I know he's, he, he treats himself pretty harshly with his performances, so to be able to pull something off like that, he was just stoked to have given something back to, to, to the boys. I mean, the first catch that he took was was bloody good, but the second one was unbelievable. That ball was travelling at a rate of knots and uh, off Ben McDermott, who was hitting them beautifully. Your thoughts on the catch at the time, and have you, have you looked back on it since? Well, I was, I was on the opposite end of the ground, so I genuinely thought it had gone for six because it went that flat, and then he just popped out of nowhere He because he was standing on my angle. He was standing in line for the dugout, so... I thought it was going to be the guys in the dugout were going to be ducking for cover. Um, and then he popped out of nowhere and <laughs> the, the ball just disappeared into his hands. Yeah, unbelievable catch. And you mentioned he hasn't had much luck uh, with the bat, Andre Fletcher. And he certainly didn't have much luck yesterday when Ben McDermott said he wasn't out, basically, uh, when he was speaking on the coverage. I mean, you said he's cool and he's calm. And, and as you say, most of the West Indians are pretty laid back. But uh, I'd imagine when he got back to the sheds after that, he wouldn't have been that. Uh, he wouldn't have been laughing too hard. To, to his credit, he was actually amazing. He obviously came back, sat on the bench for a couple of minutes. No one's ever happy when they get out, whether um, it's an incorrect decision or a correct decision. So he was pretty flat when he was just sitting there with everyone. And yeah, to his credit, he went downstairs, took his pads off, came straight back up and, and just started supporting the guys who were yet to bat. So uh, I think that just represents his character. He's always looking to, to benefit people around him and, and he's always looking at ways to improve and a lot of guys, after having the run that he's had, would quite easily sit down in the sheds and, and not offer much. But, yeah, to his credit, he, he gave a lot back. And we're speaking to Hilton Cartwright for the Melbourne Stars after their 10-run win against the Hobart Hurricanes yesterday. You played a vital role with the bat yourself, 36 off 24. But Marcus Stornis was the, stars, the star. We've seen him have some big knocks uh, in the BBL. Just fell short of a century yesterday. But you're out there with him. How well was he striking the ball compared to some other innings you've seen him uh, play in the past? I think he's just so clear in the way that he goes about his business. When he when he gets his mindset switched on and, and he gets in, um, I think the way that he prepares every game and how he trains towards every game really shows in an innings like that. 
he never looked flustered. He always knew where he was going to start targeting bowlers. Um, and I think that's a real credit to, um, to him and, and the way he's gone about his business for the last two, three seasons. He's really started to stand out as, as one of the biggest hitters and, and the biggest scorers in the game. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if he does that um, game in, game out from now on, just knowing how, how cool, calm and collected he is, whether he's under a bit of pressure or, he, or he's flying. He, he keeps a really cool head and, and makes sure that when he gets in, he doesn't let the opposition dictate terms. He, he knows how he's going to play every bowler. On the other side of the fence, uh, Ben McDermott's had a really good summer. He had great innings for Australia A against India, and uh, we've had a bit of feedback here on our, our text machine when they were talking about players that could have played in the test team uh, earlier in the summer that uh, he's just you know one person that should be considered. Uh, and yesterday you saw him again at uh, full flight. What have you made of sort of Ben's progress as a cricketer, and how good can he be? I think the way that he's been progressing, especially over yeah the last couple of years, he's he's got he's he's starting to become a real three format player. Obviously, seen his success in the white ball and the um, the one day and the the T Twenty competitions, and he's really starting to churn out some runs in the red ball comp as well. Um, made quite a few runs. Obviously, he said in the with the Australia A, and he also we played against him against him in the in the Shield stuff down in Adelaide in the hub, um, and I reckon he got eighty odd against us as well and looked really really good. So. He's starting to really turn some performances in all three formats, which if you're any cricketer, you're always going to be a sniff to, to get higher honours if you're doing that and, and, and playing consistently, which he seems to be really starting to switch on and, and, and make, make those movements and, and make it happen for himself. Speaking to Hilton Cartwright from the Melbourne Stars, I guess in terms of the table uh, yesterday, that, that was a vital win for you guys. You know, only three points now behind the Hurricanes in third. You've got a game in hand uh, over them. In, in the context of the season and where we're at, you know, it got pretty tight at the finish. How important was it for you guys to hold on yesterday? I think it was crucial just for just to wrestle a bit of momentum back. I think in these competitions, when you're playing quite a few games back-to-back, you can if you start winning a couple of games, especially when you start winning tight ones, so you, you look at getting two, three wins on the road and then they can turn into three or four wins, which the back end of the competition, when teams are trying to scramble for finals, when you look back at those situations, it'll, it'll be seen as a pretty crucial point in, in gathering momentum for the next sort of four games we've got coming up. So I think looking, looking back, we definitely know that it was an important game. Um, and I think that will really start to reap the rewards of that when we're, we're sort of, or if we are in Melbourne um, and, and, yeah, depending on where our wins are sitting there, we'll definitely look back on it knowing that it was a, a huge win in, in the context of the season. I was going to ask you about that. You said hopefully you'll be in Melbourne and, and all things being equal, you're going to have some you know, a good run of home games uh, to finish the season. But given what's happened in Melbourne and, and Sydney the last uh, three or four days, as a team, you, you're getting slightly nervous that you might be on the road again or you're confident that uh, you will get that stretch of home games in? I'm still pretty confident that we're going to get games in Melbourne. I mean... There, there isn't a huge outbreak in cases. And I mean, if we're living in a hub lifestyle, we can be pretty restricted in terms of how, of how we interact with the public and, and being outside of our hotels and, and our controlled environment. So I'm still pretty confident that we're going to be in Melbourne. Um, but I guess that's, that's not really up to me to decide. It's, it's up to the guys who up the top that get to, to work out what the best option is to keep this big bash going. Um, because I mean, we're obviously, we want to play that with those cricket games and, whether it's in Melbourne or elsewhere, obviously we'd prefer it to be in Melbourne. Um, but if that's not going to be the safest place to, to do that, then they'll, they'll find the next best fit. Yeah, fingers crossed. that It should happen the way things are tracking. Uh, fingers crossed. You skip a Glenn Maxwell, I guess, 
everyone within Australian cricket that has played with Glenn would know, you know, how sharp a cricket mind he is. But I guess for people on the outside, it's hard to, to see that. But with Fox Cricket and, and a lot of the insight you get through the mics, and we heard him particularly late in the game yesterday talking tactics with the bowlers and the fieldsmen. There's been a bit of feedback uh, this morning that, you know, maybe one day he could captain Australia in one of the short forms of the game. How have you found Glenn as a skipper? And, you know, you've played with a lot of great cricketers and great leaders. How do you sort of assess his captaincy ability and his ability to read the game? I think he really flies under the radar in terms of a cricket brain. There's obviously a lot of guys out there who've captained Australia in different formats and they've been known to be skippers for, for quite a while. But I think Glenn flies under the radar because he has quite a lot of intricate details that I've never really seen in, in captains, whether it's moving a field a few metres or, or slightly making the field square and bits and pieces like that. He's really switched on depending on the batter. Um, obviously bowling different styles, right arm, left arm, you have your different variations, but he seems to have real intricacies in, in different batters and the way they play. And I think a lot of people that can, and, and, he, and I mean, even the way that the ground plays, he takes that into consideration. I was actually having breakfast with him yesterday um, and he had his notepad out and he was writing down uh, what happened every over in the, the, the previous game that we lost. And he was going through all the details and what he should have changed and what he's going to change for the next game. So, I don't know how many captains out there do that after a game, but he's definitely one of them that doesn't leave any stone unturned and really makes sure that he gives himself as a captain and his team the best opportunity to um, come out on the on the top on top. You mentioned you had breakfast with him, given he's uh, had a few lucrative IPL contracts over the years. I hope he hope he shouts when you have breakfast. You too. Oh, fortunately, we've uh, in our in our hub lifestyle. We've oh, of got course, a you don't have to pay, do you? Hotel, so yeah. So, we, <laughs> so I sat down with him. He was in his. In his uh, in his tracky dacks and his UGG boots, so he was he was looking a bit rough up after the game, but um, no, he was he was he had his mind switched on and didn't get much out of him when he was when he was down on his notepad. I was speaking about Andre Fletcher before, and he was pretty unlucky with that dismissal yesterday. There's been a lot of talk about the umpiring in this Big Bash competition so far this season. I don't want you to to criticise umpires or anything, but has there been much talk about it amongst the players and and you know what we can do, whether it's you know technology to just help the umpires out. What do you think should happen in the BBL in terms of, um, you know, referrals and, and, and technology? How would you like to see it improved? I mean, if, if there is the possibility of DRS, I think every player in the country would agree to it. But at the end of the day, that's, that comes down to cost. So it's quite an expensive thing to have, even if there's a smaller form of that. or I don't, I don't, we've, There's been many discussions around it, but they've all been quite grey and, and, and what dictates overturning a decision or, or having a, um, a DRS or, or having a, a potential to review a dismissal. I think the, the best way that they can do, the best form of, um, I guess, way of moving forward is, is, is training for the umpires. And, and the, obviously they're going to learn from, from the mistakes they've made. I mean, they're not, they're not perfect. They're not robots. Everyone's going to make mistakes. But I think, the less we can dwell on those mistakes, the more the umpires are going to feel less under pressure and they're going to end up performing better. It's just like if someone's having a form slump with the, form slump with the bat, the more you focus on it, the more that every every time they, they fail or anything, it, it starts to really get emphasised. But if, the, if you don't sort of start looking at all the negatives with the umpires, they start turning around. And there is umpires out there that are having really good games yeah. and they just fly under the radar because they're not gathering momentum. Um, it's just all the talk around DRS is really starting to overshadow 
all the good decisions being made. Yeah, it certainly didn't overshadow what was the great game of cricket yesterday. We often ask this of you know other sportsmen, you know, footballers, for example. When you're playing in a game that's really high quality and and uh, you know a lot of good things are happening, do you realise at the time you are playing in a in a really high quality game, or are you that locked into what you're doing and and what needs to be done ball by ball in in case of cricket that you don't really notice? I think it's a bit of both. You, you realise uh, that the game is going to go down to the wire and. You know the certain points where if you, like I said earlier, if you, if you get Ben McDermott out, you know you're a huge chance to win that game. And the longer he bats, the, you know that the game's going to be going down to the wire. So you, and you get that it's going to be a really tight game, but because you're biased in the fact that you're playing in it, you always believe that, nah, we will win this, is the only thing that doesn't make it feel like it's going to go down to the wire and you think that you're going to end up running home with it. So I think if you're sitting down watching the telly, everything's on edge. You don't see any decisions being made. You don't see field changes that much. So it's quite easy to, to get quite anxious and get quite nervous for whoever you're supporting. But when you're out in the field, you're so so one-eyed and so biased, you just fully believe that you're <laughs> going to win the game. Yeah, it was a cracker yesterday. We've seen some great games uh, in recent days around the competition. You've got a couple of back-to-back games coming up against the Strikers, but before then, you take on the Brisbane Heat. And we've seen the Heat find a bit of form. We saw Joe Burns uh, find a bit of form. Uh, Chris Lynn uh, back in the side uh, showed it in a little cameo last night as well. What, what have you made of the Heat's form uh, this season? And that they seem to be a team that the longer the competition's going, that they're getting better this season. Yeah, certainly. I think the way that they play is um, very high risk, high reward. So you always know that you're a, a huge possibility of beating them. Um, but you also know the capabilities that they're, especially their batting lineup have with Max Bryan, like you mentioned, Chris Lynn, Joe Burns is in the runs column again, and Jimmy Pearson's having a, a pretty good year for them. So when you look at those numbers and, and the stats that they bring forward, it's hard to deny that they are a good team. It's just whether they whether you play a better game of cricket on the day and, and, and if you bowl better, and obviously the way they've been batting is high risk. So if they're taking the wrong risks, that falls into your hands. So they're always a dangerous team. They always have been, even back in the day when they had um, big Basma, the, the Bash brothers yeah. playing. You knew that you had your work cut out for you. Um, and even now, it's no different. They're, they still play a very similar brand of cricket. Um, so it's always hard to get a gauge on a team like that because they can they can make 200 one game and, and get bowled out for 120 the next. You mentioned Joe Burns there, and all, all cricketers have, have gone through form slumps, whether they're bowlers or, or batsmen. It's been so tough for Joe as a fellow cricketer and someone that would know him pretty well. I mean, is everyone just in the when you see him make some runs last night? Is everyone just really happy for Joe, given everything he's been through so far this first class season? Oh, personally, knowing I've been through not not the same extent, but a form slump of of my own degree, I know how much of a relief that innings would have been for him. Um, just to give himself that that real, he, he obviously has the self belief, but the um, I guess proof behind knowing what he's doing is working, and it's not just working in the nets and then failing in a game. So I'm glad to see that all the work that he's been putting in, it is it is going to produce some results and that's going to give him that extra bit of belief and self-confidence going forward that, you know, he is, he is a class cricketer um, and it's just a matter of time and trusting what he's doing. So I was really happy for him to, to go out there and do what he does. I think he's the Brisbane Heat's third leading run scorer. So he's obviously been a, good, a great player for them for a long period of time. 
Um, and it's just getting that proof in the pudding for him. Well, for your sake and the Melbourne Stars, Hilton, let's hope he doesn't fire uh, when you play them uh, in a few days' time. Uh, well done yesterday. It was a cracking game uh, to watch, and uh, I'm sure it was a great game to play in as well. And the Stars are right in the thick of it, uh, fourth on the table uh, with 15 points from their seven games. Thanks for your time today on SEN, and good luck for the rest of the BBL season. Thanks, mate. I appreciate having me. Great to have Hilton Cartwright from the Melbourne Stars on the line. Uh, Next up for them uh, is a clash against the Brisbane Heat. We'll take a break. There'll be more on SEN Afternoons coming up. Welcome back to Afternoons. Julian DeStoop with you. Great to have your company. In the last hour coming up, we've got South East Melbourne Phoenix import Kiefer Sykes is going to join us, as well as the great man Tim Hodges to chat all things motorsport, including what is the future of the Melbourne Formula One Grand Prix in 2021. It appears unlikely it will be the season opener. Talk it'll be moved to November. Will we get one at all in Melbourne or will it be uh, called off for the second year in a row? We'll speak to Tim Hodges about that uh, just after 2.30. A couple more off the temper text machine. Happy to take your thoughts on 0433 98 11 16 at any time. Temper, a mattress like no other. Or give us a call 1300 736 736. Before that, if you missed out on some of the sport that's been going on uh, today in the English Premier League overnight, thanks to O'Brien at realestate.com.au. The difference is our people. Liverpool uh, went down to Southampton. A second minute goal from Danny Ings, a former Liverpool player, was enough to see the Saints win 1-0. So Liverpool now tied at the top uh, with Manchester United. Manchester United have a game in hand. Got the FA Cup uh, this weekend, so a little bit of a, a break in the English Premier League. Test match going on at the moment uh, in New Zealand, and their skipper, Kane Williamson, is closing in on a double ton. He's currently 196 not out. He put on uh, over 360 with Henry Nichols, who made 157. The Kiwis currently 5 for 499 in reply to Pakistan's 297. That's on day three of that test match over in New Zealand. A couple off the temper text machine. We've been calling for your greatest sporting performances by an individual or a team that you have seen uh, live. Had some fantastic nominations uh, so far. This is a great one and very lucky this person was at Leeds when the Aussies beat South Africa or tied South Africa in a semi-final in the 1999 World Cup. One of the most famous games of one-day cricket uh, we have ever seen. You'd be very lucky to be an Aussie uh, at that one. Uh, And what about this poor person here, Jake? I was there when Warney took his hat-trick, and we had a caller earlier today that was at the MCG in 1994 for that hat-trick against England. But I went to the toilet, came back, and the Poms went from five down to eight down. Didn't believe it, my mates, until the rest of the people around us confirmed it. Still the biggest toilet regret of my life. Oh, Jake. You missed the moment because he went to the toilet. Goodness me. Hat trick. Oh, that is that is so disappointing. And you never get that back. You never, ever get that back. Uh, Kobe Bryant was great, but that 60 points was as fixed as the Cruiser Cup, said one others. That's interesting given uh, what we've seen uh, in the NFL uh, in the last uh, 24 hours with that uh, tanking controversy uh, that probably cost the New York Giants uh, a spot uh, in the playoffs. And we might hear from the Giants uh, coach a little bit later in the show, Joe Judge, who was hit back uh, really hard today. and uh, he's not happy at all with uh, Philadelphia. So if you didn't catch up on that, uh, Philadelphia were just three points down at three-quarter time against Washington. Washington had to win the game to make the playoffs. If they didn't win, the New York Giants were in, uh, and Philadelphia decided at the time uh, to take off their starting quarterback and replace him 
uh, with a, a quarterback that's rarely been used this season, despite only being three points down. And it's caused all sorts of controversy uh, over there in the United States. Uh, and the fact is it improved Philadelphia's draft hand from pick nine to pick six in what is a really strong uh, NFL draft next season. So that's a big talking point uh, in the States uh, right now. We're talking about 2020 earlier. We heard from Hilton Cartwright from the Melbourne Stars. Uh, we've also spoken to um, Simon Helmet from the Melbourne Renegades. And uh, this is an interesting call. Uh, T20 needs the commentators to get more excited when there's a big hit or it just becomes a shorter version of the one-day game. That's what's missing. Well, I think if you listen to BB, Big Bash Nation, you certainly get plenty of excitement for the likes of Dwayne and Sammy Hargraves and Darren Berry. They, they certainly get up and about. So that was an interesting uh, perspective uh, there on the Big Bash. So keep your temper text coming through, 0433-981116. But uh, now we're going to talk some basketball and some NBL. Uh, joined on the line by South East Melbourne Phoenix import Kiefer Sykes, who uh, has got a great story to tell, or an interesting story to tell, about his uh, journey in 2020. Uh, Kiefer, thanks for your time. Happy New Year, and uh, most importantly, welcome to Australia. Well, Happy New Year, man. Thank you for welcoming me. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, I'm, I'm excited to be here. You've only been in Australia for a short time, and uh, to a degree, COVID's affected you already. The team has had to relocate uh, to Hobart, hopefully only for a short term. But uh, what are your early impressions of Australia? Uh, I like it a lot. First of all, um, the fact that we, you know, moved after just a, a few cases um, just show, you know, how urgent and just how important um, controlling this COVID situation is for you all. And, you know, as you said, I've been traveling all over. Um, I came from the States um, where it's been mishandled. So um, it's just been refreshing to see, you know, how it's handled. Like I said, refreshing to come to a country where, you know, everyone speaks English, where just so, so many good people, nice people. So um, I'm just blessed. Like I said, I'm blessed to be here. I'm happy to be here. And it was uh, it was much better than I even thought it would be. And, you know, I was already excited to come. So that's amazing. Uh, it's great to have you here. We're speaking to Kiefer Sykes from Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. Just before we get on to uh, your expectations for the NBL and uh, what you're hoping to get out of this season uh, with the Phoenix, just take us back on your journey through 2020. And it started, you're playing in Milan, and obviously Italy became one of the real early uh, hotspots in terms of uh, coronavirus. Just take us through uh, what happened uh, in your time in Italy. Yeah, so my time in Italy, uh, I landed there in like January. So I played there until March because... Um, you know, COVID had hit China around uh, the end of, of 2019. You know, that's why it's COVID-19. And then um, in Milan, you know, it was Fashion Week. So, you know, you just get a lot of visitors, just a lot of people, and, you know, COVID was ramping up. And um, that's when it really spread. And um, it hit them real hard. And uh, Milan had came, you know, Italy had became the epicenter of the virus, you know, that had the most cases, the most deaths you know, outside of China. And then, uh, obviously, the season canceled, um, you know, with such a, you know, tragic and disastrous time. And then, you know, I flew back home to Chicago, to the United States, where, you know, obviously, shortly thereafter, you know, United States became the epicenter where we had the most cases. Uh, we still have the most cases, and I believe the most deaths currently. So um, I navigated to both of those places, um, and I was home from about March until September, and so I accepted a deal in Turkey to play um, when, you know, COVID was just catching a second wave and ramping back up up in Europe. So I played in Turkey. Then I took a short deal, a one-month deal for, you know, Panathinaikos, Euro League team in Greece. 
But like I said, with COVID ramping up there, um, you know, out of my eight games that was scheduled, I only played four of them. A lot of them was canceled due to a lot of the players, a lot of the coaches, you know, teams that we were playing against um, directly being affected by COVID, you know, a lot of those countries in Europe. And then, um, you know, on the last couple of days of my contract, um, a few players on my team had got COVID. So, um, you know, with that being said, I, I didn't really want to extend the contract. And, you know, I had got interest over here from an offer from Southeast Melbourne, and I feel like that would be best for me. And then, um, you know, now I'm here and uh, much more safer. So um, I've been able to navigate around it. Has a, Everywhere I've been has been really close. You know, a lot of my friends and, and, and family and people I know have had it in the States. But, uh, you know, like I said, it's, it's refreshing just to see how, you know, urgent you are to take care of it here in uh, Australia. As you mentioned there, when you are at uh, Panathinaikos, a, a teammate contracted it. How concerning was that for you, and, and what did you have to go through at that stage in terms of tests and isolating and things like that? Yeah, three of my teammates contracted it, but um, from the from the, from the the moment I got there, I mean, we would test about every two days because, um, like I said, it was, it, it was catching a second wave and uh, teams were really catching it. And um, it was a really tough time, a really weird time, you know, just, you know, testing every day, you know, worried about if your teammates, you know, had went out to eat, you know, went to a grocery store, you know, hanging with just friends, whatever, because, you know, it doesn't take much to get it. You know, they could just be doing something normal. Like I said, just grocery shopping or if they just want to get out their house and go to a restaurant and they could just get it from a normal pedestrian, just a normal civilian, normal citizen. So, um, you know, every day you come in, it was kind of just weird. You know, just wondering, you know, what your what your teammates, you know, what the coaches was doing. You know, just, you know, they always, you know, telling us to, you know, keep small crowds. Like I said, we always testing other teams coming down with it. So it was kind of inevitable for us that we knew it was going to hit us um, sooner or later. But, you know, also as we traveled to a lot of these games, a lot of these countries, um, you know, they had different countries banned. So we would have to take, you know, two flights, three flights most of the time, you know, both ways, you know, going to the game and flying back. So um, it was kind of just like counterproductive because, I mean, that exposed us to more airports, you know, more people, you know, more flights. So it was it was just something that was really, really difficult, you know, just always put us at a dis- disadvantage, was always hectic. And um, like you said, with us facing it here, I mean, I know we moved to Taz, but uh, it's something that I learned how to just stay positive, but you know, a lot of people, you know, struggle to, to deal with it mentally. Yeah, nothing wrong with Tassie, too. It's a, a beautiful part of the world. We're speaking to Kiefer Sykes from the southeast Melbourne Phoenix. So you, you've made your way to Australia. You're going to play in the NBL for the Phoenix, as we mentioned. It sounds like along the way, when you were making your decision, you got some pretty good advice from a, a couple of guys that Australian basketball fans know really well in uh, Jerome Randall and Jay Sean Tate. Yeah, so, you know, Jerome Randall, he's someone that, you know, I've been admiring his game a long time. Um, you know, we trained a lot against each other when he was a pro when I was still in college. Um, and also, uh, we, we matched up a couple of times in my, you know, in my pro career. So uh, he's someone that I've been following. You know, he's had a lot of success. And then obviously, you know, his last couple of years he's been here in the NBL and having a lot of success, you know, on and off the court, uh, winning MVP as well. So, um, you know, he just gave me real well wishes and, you know, he just, you know, gave me words of encouragement. And uh, he just know my style of play. You know, we both small guards. We both from Chicago. Like I said, we know each other, you know, pretty well. And, you know, he just said that uh, this would be a great fit for me. You know, also Jay Sean Tate. You know, I played with him um, in the Denver Nuggets Summer League uh, before he signed to the Sydney Kings. And, 
you know, um, he was someone that I had a relationship with. And like I said, when I got the interest and offer from, you know, Southeast Melbourne, you know, I just shot him a call, you know, now that we were with the same agency. And, um, you know, he just only had amazing things to say about his time here. And, you know, even with him playing in Sydney, you know, he was saying that I would be in Melbourne. And uh, it was just such a beautiful place. And the place that I want to be, you know, is his exact words. So, um, you know, that definitely pushed me over the edge and helped me, you know, sign. And, you know, now I'm here. And off the back of that, just Sean's playing uh, in the NBA now with the Houston Rockets. Uh, 27 years of age for yourself. Is that still the ultimate goal for you, to, to get a shot in the NBA? Yeah, that is my ultimate goal. You know, that's kind of why I've been, you know, just navigating around, you know, changing my appearance, you know, going from different leagues to different leagues, you know, just to show how versatile I am, you know, um, just to see how well I can adapt, um, to continue to test myself, you know, not to just get comfortable and just settle in, um, you know, just just put myself in a box. You know, I always want to, you know, be different, um, you know, chase different goals, uh, find different motivations and, like I said, with NBA, you know, still being a goal for me, I mean, I see the trend of players coming here and going to the NBA. So, you know, I look at it like I would give myself another, you know, two or three years of a shot at it. But, uh, you know, with me playing here, um, you know, play well this season. If it doesn't happen this summer, you know, maybe come back again here and play again where the season is shorter. Um, if everything go back to normal next year, and uh, my stock should be, you know, where I wanted to be to give myself a chance. And what did you know about the NBL before embarking on the decision to come out to Australia? Obviously, there's been a – it seems like a bit of talk about the competition in, in, in America because of, obviously, some great Australian players now in the NBA and LaMelo Ball playing here last season. How much did you actually know about the competition? Um, well, I, I didn't know too much about the competition. Just I know it was a really good ran league. Um, I, I knew the competition was strong. And uh, like you said, I know a lot of a lot of Australian basketball players. You know, last year with my Chinese team, uh, we played the 76ers in preseason. You know, Coach Brett Brown and, you know, Ben Simmons. Uh, when I was coming out of college, uh, my did training camp with uh, the San Antonio Spurs. You know, so I was familiar with, you know, Patty Mills being Australian. You know, last year with me playing in China, you know, I saw the World Cup. You know, I saw, you know, your, I saw Australia, you know, beat. Uh, the USA team, you know, I saw how strong their team was. Um, I actually played summer league also with the Cavaliers, you know, was able to look get a good look at Matthew Delavadova. Um, so, you know, I always knew you had strong talent, strong players, a or, or really strong league. Uh, people would say it's a, a, a perfect league for, for guards like me. A lot of people would always say that. Um, I had offers, you know, the last couple years to come here. So um, it was always in the back of my mind. So that's why I um, – you know, when a lot of things were happening in Europe, you know, people want to just have, have athletes take the traditional route of playing Europe. But in the back of my mind, you know, I was really interested in Australia. And, um, you know, I just made my agent reach out to the teams over here um, so I could see, you know, about the market. Like I said, I knew about Jerome, also knew about Bryce Cotton. And, uh, you know, people were saying how, how, how well the league is ran. So I was interested in just coming here and playing, and that dream came true. For the Phoenix fans and uh, NBL fans around the country, what, what sort of player can we expect when we see you out on the court uh, for the first time in, uh, in the serious action at the start of the NBL season? Um, I'm, I'm a player that can pretty much do it all. You know, I'm a player that, uh, you know, you're going to see me work really hard, you know, just, just play really hard, expend all of my energy, you know, really quick, really fast, really athletic. 
Um, you know, okay. just really gritty. Just do whatever it takes to win. And I would say I like to always be judged by that. You know, people want to, you know, say all these different things that I could do. But, I mean, I could do so many things that it just narrows down that I just want to do what it what it takes to win basketball games. You know, rebounding, scoring, you know, defending, assisting, uh, leading. Um, at the end of the day, my end goal, you know, going to the game is to get the win. So, um, you know, I could dunk the basketball. You know, I could shoot the three. Um, I mean, I, I feel like I, I, I train my game and I model my game to where it's, you know, I don't want to have any really weak points. I'm all-around player. So, um, you know, you, you, you're going to see a lot. And, I mean, just, just not even just me, just the product that we're working on to put on the floor. Uh, we just weren't working to put put together a product that, you know, could be in that top four for the playoffs. Yeah, pretty good first season for South East Melbourne Phoenix last year. As you say, they're going to push for a playoff spot uh, this year. Uh, fantastic. Uh, to have you in the country, Kiefer. I uh, hope 2021 is a far more smoother journey for you uh, than 2020, and we're all excited to see you uh, in action when the NBL season starts in a couple of weeks. Uh, thanks for your time on SEN Afternoons. All right, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Great to have Kiefer Sykes uh, in the country. And uh, one here off the temper text. Thanks for you for coming to Australia, Kiefer. Please wish him all the best from a big fan. That is from Brett. Before we get to the break, let's get the latest uh, in the odds with Tristan Merlihan from Totsport. Uh, Tristan, uh, thanks for your time this afternoon. A couple of days away from that third test match uh, between Australia and India at the SCG. Uh, what's the market saying at the moment? Yeah, g'day, Julian. Thanks for having us on. There's plenty of cricket on. We've got Big Bash. We've got New Zealand playing at the moment with Williamson 199 not yeah. out with the rain coming. And then uh, Australia's $1.65, the draw's $5, and India 360 So Australia very short after after we got turned over last test. And what about the BBL? As you mentioned, there's games every night, of course, and uh, tonight uh, the poor old Renegades having a, a terrible season. They're in action against the Strikers. Yeah, and obviously no Sean Marsh tonight going home for the birth of his third child. It's two thirty six the Renegades, a dollar sixty three Adelaide. There seems a little bit of value in the Renegades high bat market with, with Sean missing. Aaron Finch, the short price favourite at three dollars. Um, we like Mackenzie Harvey at top score yep. at six dollars fifty to sort of step up and get a few runs there. Uh, there's over 250 markets on every Big Bash game on www.topsport.com.au. And just finally, who's the favourite for the Big Bash to win it right now? Favourite for the Big Bash, we'll just bring up the market. Hobart Hurricanes have looked very impressive. I think they're going to be hard to go past. And actually, they're $5.60. The Sydney Sixers are $4.60 favourite. Sydney Thunder five twenty, and Hobart at five sixty. For anyone out there wanting a bet, I think Hurricanes have got a very good side and I think they're going to be very difficult to beat. Uh, Tristan, thanks for your time and uh, we'll speak soon. Thanks for that, Julian. Have a good day. Tristan Merlihan, proudly brought to you by Top Sport, home of the best of the best multis. Download the Top Sport app today. And as always, gamble responsibly. Plenty more coming up on SEN Afternoons. Welcome up, back to Afternoons. Julian Destoop with you until 3 o'clock before we hand over to Drive. Tim Hodges, not too far away to speak all things motorsport in particular. What's going to happen with the Formula One Grand Prix in Melbourne this year? Doesn't sound like it's going to be the season opener. Will it be moved to later in the F1 season? It's a packed schedule for the F1s this year. Or will we not get a race at all for the second year in a row at Albert Park? Just a couple off the temper text machine. And I'm glad you pointed this out, Daniel, because when I read the text out before about uh, one lucky person being at that World Cup semi-final between Australia and South Africa in 1999, I didn't think it was at Leeds. And you have correctly pointed out that tied cricket game was at Edgbaston. I think the texter got confused. The Super 6 game between Australia and South Africa, 
the, the game where Herschel Gibbs famously dropped the World Cup off Steve Waugh. Uh, that was played at Leeds, and the semi-final was played at Edgbaston. Thanks for pointing that out, Daniel. Another one here from James uh, talking about our interview with Kiefer Sykes. What a great interviewee. Just wind him up, and he gives great answers. That's from James in Morty Alec. And certainly... That's one of the great things about the American sportsmen that you get to interview on this station, whether they're they're playing here or even the American journalists, that they're very expansive with their answers. We see some Australian rules footballs and Australian sportsmen at the time. Sometimes, you, if you ask them what sort of player they are, you would just get the line and length. Uh, just you know, I'll play any position. I just want to help the team. But uh, with the Americans, he, Kiefer said it as it is. I do a bit of everything. I'm pretty good at everything, and uh, it's refreshing. Uh, to get that honesty uh, at times. So uh, he's going to be a great addition, Kiefer Sykes, uh, to the NBL, an exciting player uh, for the South East Melbourne Phoenix uh, come this NBL season, which gets away, gets underway uh, in a couple of weeks' time. We mentioned before this controversy uh, that's shot up in American football uh, overnight after that performance yesterday uh, from Philadelphia in their match against Washington. So Washington had to win to make the playoffs at uh, if they lost, the New York Giants would get in at three-quarter time. Washington only led by three points. And then Philadelphia decided to take their starting quarterback off and uh, replace him with a quarterback that's hardly played at all this season. In the end, Washington hang on. They make the playoffs. Philadelphia's draft position improves from nine to six. Now, it's caused outrage in America, allegations of tanking. And the New York Giants uh, head coach, uh, Joe Judge, well, he didn't hold back when asked his thoughts uh, overnight in the States. Okay, we had a lot of people opt in. All right, coaches, players, that includes family members as well. All right, so to look at a group of grown men who I asked to give me effort on a day in, day out basis and to empty the tank, and then I can look them in the eye and assure them that I'm always going to do everything I can to put them at a competitive advantage and play them in a position of strength. To me, you don't ever want to disrespect those players and their effort and disrespect the game. The sacrifices that they made to come into work every day and test before coming in, to sit in meetings spaced out, to wear masks, to have shields over those masks, to go through extensive protocols, to travel in unconventional ways, to get text messages at 6.30 in the morning telling practice is going to be canceled, we have to do a virtual day, okay, to tell them, please don't have your family over for Thanksgiving, please avoid Christmas gatherings, we know it's your wife's birthday, let's make sure we put that one off to the offseason, there's a number of sacrifices that have been made by all the players and coaches in this league. There's a number of sacrifices that come along as well with the family members of the people connected to them. To disrespect the effort that everyone put forward to make this season a success for the National Football League, to disrespect the game by going out there and not competing for 60 minutes and doing everything you can to help those players win, we will never do that as long as I'm the head coach of the New York Giants. Yeah, strong comments there from Joe Judge, the head coach of the New York Giants. I think most in American sport would agree with him. It, it did have a bit of a stench about it, uh, what the Philadelphia Eagles uh, did yesterday. So that's going to be a story that develops uh, in the States over the next few days. Uh, developing story, of course, is the future of the Melbourne Grand Prix in 2021. And after this news break, we'll speak to Tim Hodges about that and all things motorsport. Thank you, Sammy. Just about to speak to Tim Hodges about the Formula One Grand Prix in Melbourne and all issues in motorsport. We've been calling today for the greatest sporting performances individual team you've seen live. A couple more here off Twitter. Really interesting one uh, down here from Susan Capes, who said, In 1963, Fitzroy versus Geelong at Brunswick Street Oval. Fitzroy inflicted only defeat Geelong suffered in their premiership year. 
State game on and Fitzroy coached by our reserves playing coach Wally Clark. Great memories. And I was there as an 11-year-old. Uh, Kimbo here. Gillies. 57 ball ton at the Wacker. And Andy Bomber's a great friend of SEN, says Michelle Payne, first ever women jockey to win the Melbourne Cup. And Maccabi Diva winning the Melbourne Cup back to back to back, 2003, 2004, and 2005. Now, Tim Hodges is a great sporting fan, not only uh, V8s and motorsport, he loves his footy, he loves all sport, actually. He's been good enough to join us on the line. Happy New Year, Timmy. Uh, happy New Year to you, Julian. Nice to be joining you on the uh, on the wireless. Oh, thank you very much, Tim. Now let's get stuck. What about you've seen sport all over the world? You've been in America watching all sorts of sports, and obviously you're a big Collingwood man. Is there a couple of uh, sporting performances you've seen live that really stand out for you? Uh, well, can we be self indulgent? Absolutely, we, saw, we can. Uh, man, man United and Tottenham play. I, I was sitting beside you, Julian. It was and, nil uh, all. Wasn't that and, memorable? <laughs> We did see Ronaldo score, but it was offside. That was pretty cool. Uh, I did see LeBron James um, at Madison Square Garden. Um, saw him score 40, po- 40 points a couple of years ago at the Staples Centre. That, that was pretty cool. And, um, and th- this wasn't a particularly great performance, but I was at the, the 100th running of the Indianapolis 500 back in 2016. There was 400,000 people there on race day. That, that was a pretty cool thing to, to, to be at. Um, I know that's not really a part of your topic, but... Um, um, you know, and great things you, you've seen. That was right up there. Ah, excellent, excellent. Now, what about this uh, Formula One Grand Prix in Melbourne? I don't think, having spoken to you a little bit about this, this wouldn't have come as a great surprise to you, or if it it does be cancelled in terms of the, the first race of the season, is it fair to say that's highly unlikely that it will be the season opener this year? Well, I reckon if you walk out your front door, Julian, at SEN and walk about 600 metres over to Albert Park, it'll probably tell the tale that they haven't started building the racetrack. So I think that's a telltale sign that it's not going to happen in March. Um, and just with the quarantine rules as it sat, uh, before Christmas, um, all plans were there for the Grand Prix field to come into Australia. And it's not just the 20 drivers. It's it's close to 1,500 people that you're moving in from Europe. And you know the bulk of the teams, eight of the 10 teams, Julian, are, from, are based in the UK. Where you know, as of this morning, they yeah. went into lockdown. So it, it's um, it, it would be crazy for the state government who are who bankrolled this event to bring that many people into Melbourne and not quarantine them, which was part of the Grand Prix um, manifesto that they they didn't want to. You know, they can't agree to to have a two week quarantine period in every country that they race in. You know, there's 23 races on the schedule this year in different countries that they can't be doing 40 odd weeks of quarantine. So. That was the plan, and that simply can't happen now, that you can't bring them in and not quarantine them, and good on the tennis players who are going to do it. Um, but now that the Grand Prix field, that's out of the equation, you just can't have the race as soon as this March. So I know a lot of people are talking about pushing it back during the year, but if you push it mid-year, that's right in our winter, when we might be, be back in a, in, a, in a pickle with our own issues. Um, so I think the most likely thing would be to push it all the way to the end of the, the Formula One season in, in maybe November. I, I would love to see it personally back to when it, it used to be the last race of the yeah. year, always in Adelaide, and that was around Melbourne Cup week. Um, there is a, a, a the week of stakes day weekend. Imagine Melbourne, Melbourne Cup week with the Grand Prix in town as well. That would be really cool. But then the Grand Prix would have the logistical issue of having the MotoGP in October and then a couple of weeks later the Formula One Grand Prix and then they'd also have the issue of having a Formula One Grand Prix in November and then 
potentially as soon as March having the next race as well, which would be hard to sell tickets for both of those events. So my gut feel, Jules, right now is unfortunately, and nothing's been confirmed here, but I reckon it's really unlikely that there'll be an Albert Park Grand Prix again in 2021 after missing it in 2020, of course, with that complete and utter balls up when it was cancelled on the, the Friday morning. Um with you know thirty to forty thousand people outside waiting to get in, you know the supercar field was strapped into their cars ready to qualify, and the event was was called off. So, you know they can't afford to have that happen again and build a racetrack and, and not actually have an event again. So if we don't have the race here at all again, as you mentioned, that would be two years in a row. I know there's, there's contracts in place, but does it put the future of the race in Melbourne in jeopardy? I mean, there's new countries and new cities popping up on the Formula One calendar and there's so many countries that are keen to get a race. If we, if we don't have one here two years in a row, is that a concern for, for the future of the event? No, no. And, and I, I know Formula One has put it, and they've gone uh, gung-ho trying to get a 23-round schedule in for 2021, and that's simply not going to happen. That Already there's a, the, the race in Vietnam, that simply won't happen. Um, I, I can't see them going to America at the moment. Um, I, I can't see them going to, to Canada. Like, I, I think it's, you know, obviously I've just said about Australia's issues. I, I don't think the Chinese Grand Prix would, would be, you know, you wouldn't put, be putting your money on that happening this year. So, you know, it was an ambitious plan to put out what they wanted to happen this year, but that's just going to be a guide, unfortunately. And if you're putting your money on it, I, I think you'd be putting a lot of money on the fact that it's going to be a condensed Grand Prix schedule, much like this year that we had where they had most of their races within Europe, which was as easy to contain the field and keep them together as much as possible um, because that's where most of, I mean, the bulk of the teams are all based. So um, I think going abroad is just going to be still a, a bridge too far for, for much of the Grand Prix season, as, as painful as that is. And, and I feel for all the all the motorsport fans out there, Julian, and I'm one of those that, you know, we've missed out on a Grand Prix in Melbourne this year. We've missed out on a MotoGP event at Phillip Island this past year. You know, Victorians didn't get one single supercar round. They were all based outside of, of Victoria. So there's been a lot of motorsport um, that has gone um, out of this state. So, you know, it would be great to have it, um, and, and I hope it does. The only silver lining here, Julian, is the interesting point is when the supercars put out their schedule for 2021, they they had, I mean, they're the, this is the main support category for the Formula One Grand Prix at Albert Park, and they put an asterisk that Sandown was always going to be their backup plan and Sandown wasn't on their initial schedule. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if the supercars actually announce if the Grand Prix doesn't go ahead that they'll go... Um, either that week or in that week, the Grand Prix week was going to clash with round one of the AFL season, Jules. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they pull it full. I, I would hope they'd pull it back a week so they've got that clear weekend, clear air to actually go and have a good event at Sandown. Maybe you bring back the Sandown 500 and have a 250k race on the Saturday and a 250k race on the Sunday and make a big show of it. And, and that's sort of the motorsport fix for, for Victorians in light of the fact that. I don't think the GP is going to happen. Yeah, speaking to Tim Hodges about all things motorsport, I know that's a bugbear of yours there at the Grand Prix, going up against the start of the AFL season. Now, you do your podcast, Balls and oh, Bumps. Just, Balls yeah. And, yeah, keep going. No, keep going. It just, it just makes no sense for, for something that the state government, you know, bankrolls the Grand Prix and, and spends so much money on the AFL season to then have them both, the showpiece events, have them on the same weekend. just doesn't make any sense to mine. And 
It was frustrating when it came out that it was going to be on the same weekend again this year, but, uh, I mean, obviously that's not going to happen. So there is a sense that I do like it going to to the end of the year like Adelaide had with their Grand Prix, and, and then you, you get rid of the football season, it's over, and um, the only thing you're up against is, is, is the horse racing, which um, I think they could coexist together. Yeah, I'd agree with you on that one. Now, balls and bumpers, of course, you have Jack Rewalt, and you've got Scotty McLaughlin on. Now, we know Scotty's gone to the States in uh, in for 2021. And obviously, as you said before, COVID's still a massive problem in the United States. What will the year look like for Scotty McLaughlin? Uh, no, I think he would be he would be nervous and wondering, like all of us motorsport fans, of what the hell do things look like in America? You know, if Biden takes over and, and locks down the States, what, what is there? their motor racing season look like like again the, one of the features of indycar racing is they have a lot of street races like supercars and that's where where mclaughlin really um really shines uh, but i can't see them having any street races already the biggest street race in indycar is long beach in, in california that's already moved to the end of the season just to try and make sure they can have it but you know it's a tough thing building street races which cost a hell of a lot of money you know well over $10 million just to erect the thing. And if you can't have, if you can't have, you know, capacity crowds, then you immediately start losing money, which was the issue with Albert Park, that they were never going to be allowed 100% of the fan base there. So once you go to 50% or 30% of the audience, you're losing a hell of a lot of money in ticket sales that help you actually recoup some of that money. So uh, I'm not sure whether there'll be many street races go ahead and, uh, and then what races they have. I don't think you'll get the full experience to answer your question that there won't be big crowds and um, it will take away some of the luster of, of racing over there. Yeah, which is a shame. It's 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 a tough time for motorsport and international sport. Uh, it's particularly different, difficult with COVID. Uh, Tim, thank you for your time as always and uh, your insights, and uh, I'm sure we'll speak very soon. Uh, thanks, Pipe. Nice to be with you. <laughs> Not the pipe. It's just the giant snorkel, big nose to stoop here. Thank you very much uh, to Tim Hodges. We'll be back after the break on SEN Afternoons. Afternoons on SEN. Welcome back to Afternoons. Uh, Julian DeStoop with you until 3 o'clock. Then we'll hand over to the boys on drive. Cam Luke and Brad Johnson, the smiling assassin, is uh, part of the team. Uh, big show uh, planned for the boys. You're going to chat with Glenn McGrath. They're going to chat also with, I was just bringing it up here on the uh, the text from the great man, Benny Lyon. Uh, Bobby Quiney, they're going to cross to Philadelphia and speak to a writer from there on this tanking uh, story that we've spoken about on the show today uh, involving the Philadelphia Eagles, which cost potentially the New York Giants a spot in the playoffs uh, and Washington were the main beneficiary of that. And uh, we're going to talk, they're going to talk some more uh, Formula One with Michael Laminato about this developing story with the Formula One Grand Prix in Melbourne. We just had Tim Hodges on then and uh, his sort of gut feel and the information he's got is there is a good chance, unfortunately, there might not be a Grand Prix in Melbourne at all. It could be moved to November, but uh, maybe there's not room for it in the schedule in 2021. So that will play out uh, over the next uh, couple of weeks uh, down there at Albert Park. But certainly it, it sounds like almost for certain uh, that it won't be uh, the season opening Grand Prix for the second year in a row. Also, remember Dream Street are giving you the chance to win Dream Seats to your favourite sporting events. Head to iCanWin.com.au to get involved. Now, poor old Kane Williamson, we've been updating you on that test match uh, between New Zealand and Pakistan. It's over in Christchurch. 
And uh, no, well, they've just resumed. I was going to say he's been stranded on 199 due to rain, but it's just resumed and he's made his uh, double century. Now on 204, not out, off 333 balls earlier. Henry Nichols uh, made 157 in a 369-run partnership uh, between the two. Daryl Mitchell is 41, not out. Uh, the Kiwis cruising in this one. Five for 530 uh, in reply to Pakistan's first innings of 297. Uh, we're on day three of that test match over in Christchurch. The Kiwis already 1-0 up in the series. And uh, a bit of basketball, too. We've mentioned uh, Ben Simmons' Philadelphia 76ers had another win. They've now got the best record in the NBA. Steph Curry yesterday, of course, put up 62 points, a career high. And uh, the, the reigning MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo, has responded today, not quite with 62 points, but 43 points and nine rebounds of his own as the Bucks defeated the Detroit Pistons by 10, 125 uh, to 115. Uh, they improved their record to four and three. The Pistons one and six uh, through the opening seven games. And if you're just joining us, unfortunately, we haven't got the latest on this injury, but Dante Exum suffered a, an injury playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers. It looked like to the vision it may have been a a classic Achilles tendon where he's just running with the ball, turns around, thinks someone's kicked him in the calf and there's no one there. Now, the, the Cavs have been reporting that it was a calf strain and uh, obviously he's out of the match and they, they went on to lose that match against the Magic. Um, but uh, further updates in the next 24 hours. But let's hope for Dante Exum, who's already had a knee reconstruction. He's already had shoulder surgery as well, that uh, this is not a serious injury for him because he had started the NBA season uh, in really, really good uh, Nick uh, there for the Cleveland Cavs. If you're just catching up on the cricket news uh, today, Justin Langer spoke to Sam Edmund on SEN Mornings. Uh, he's confirmed that David Warner is likely uh, to play, despite not quite being a 100% fit. Uh, Will Pekoski has been cleared by a neurologist. Uh, his latest tests to play, so he's available. Uh, still no confirmation from Justin Langer whether he would play or not. And therefore, if Will Pekoski plays, there's got to be a decision made between Matthew Wade and Travis Head, only one of those two players uh, will retain their spot uh, in the team. Just a bit off the uh, temper text machine, 0433-98-1116. Still time to give us a call, one 736 Just off the back of the talk about the Grand Prix, and I, clearly Gary's not a big fan of the Formula One in Melbourne. Send the F1s back to Adelaide. It's a waste of money and destroys local sports clubs, and some never come back. And then he's texting again after the chat about it being pushed back to November, saying, if you have it in November, cricket clubs will be stuffed for the season. So Gary's obviously not a big fan of it being at Albert Park. And another one here saying, I'd put money on a China Grand Prix uh, to replace the Melbourne Grand Prix. So we'll just have to wait and see uh, what happens with that Formula One Grand Prix in Melbourne. As we say, it sounds like it definitely won't be the season opener. Uh, whether we get one at all in what is a very, very big season, as Tim Hodges uh, pointed out there, it's a compacted season. And I guess with so many of the venues that they plan on visiting, still really struggling uh, with COVID, whether it's the States or different parts of Europe, um, there might be a lot of changes to that Formula One season again uh, this year. So uh, hoping for motorsport fans, uh, particularly in Melbourne, as Tim said, uh, you know, missed out on a lot last year. Uh, that we will get some events in Melbourne this year. But uh, almost done on SEN Afternoons. We'll hand over to the boys on Drive soon. We'll take a break and wrap up what's been another big show. Afternoons on SEN.
Welcome back to Afternoons. Just about done. No, hand over very shortly to Cam Luke and Brad Johnson. Big show coming up, including chats with Glenn McGrath and Bob Quiney. Speaking of the cricket, Melinda Farrell uh, is currently watching the Aussies train and she just tweeted, Warner's been practising his running between the wickets in the nets, testing out the groin in injury under the watchful eyes of medical staff. So a big session there uh, for David Warner. And uh, just if you're just catching up with the news, um, Justin Langer said today he's most likely to play. Will Pekoski has been cleared by a neurosurgeon. To, uh, he's okay. He's av- he's available uh, for selection. So uh, big chance that Will uh, will make his debut. I've been asking all day for nominations about your favourite sporting moment or best sporting moment you've seen live. Why don't we just finish off with another one, bashing the Bombers. 2001 grand final when Brisbane defeated Essendon. When Essendon, I'm not sure they were hot favourites in fairness. Uh, Mark, but uh, they were far too good on the day and they went on to win the next two. And just before we go, some really sad news has emerged out of the world of tennis. Just a tweet from renowned tennis journalist Craig Gabriel. I'm very sad to hear the passing of Australian tennis coach Bob Brett. Can't believe it. He worked with Boris Becker, Goran Ivanisevic, Paul McNamee, the late Pete McNamara and many other big names. His daughters were with him until the end. R.I.P. Bretty. So just 67 years of age. Bob Brett, for 35 years, he was coach on the ATP Tour. As mentioned there, he coached Boris Becker to number one, Goran Ivanisevic to three finals at Wimbledon. Uh, other big names, Andre Medvedev, uh, Mario Antic, uh, Marin Cilic, Nicholas Kiefer. And uh, for the last 20 years, he's been doing some fantastic work uh, in Japan. Uh, some charity he set up in Australia as well. And only last month, he was given the Tom Gallickson Award, which is uh, an award voted on by over 60 coaches on the ATB Tour. So really sad news and uh, condolences out uh, to the Brett family, one of the great Australian-born tennis coaches who did some fantastic things overseas. So condolences uh, with the Brett family. As mentioned, coming up on Drive, it's Cam Luke and Brad Johnson amongst their special guests, Glenn McGrath, Rob Quiney. They're also going to talk this fiasco in NFL football with the tanking and also plenty more about the future or the short-term future of the Australian Moto Moto Grand Prix. Uh, So we'll talk to you again tomorrow on SEN Afternoons. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91.